0: Coming up, the Celtics broke my brain, a deep dive on succession. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code SIMMONS for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network on Sunday night on the Prestige TV Podcast right after the episode ends. Me and Sean Fantasy. Sadly, I don't think we're going to have Joanna Robinson because she's away. But it's going to be at least me and Sean. We're going to be breaking down the final episode. We're going to tape it as fast as we can after that airs on HBO and get it up on the Prestige TV podcast as soon as we possibly can. And who knows, Joanna might even join us. She's on vacation, but you can't count her out. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to have a new podcast here on Sunday as well. Probably putting that up a little earlier in the uh, afternoon. So stay tuned for that. Please check out the ringer.com. If you like the show Succession, which we're about to talk about, uh, we did a lot of great succession content this week on the ringer.com, including um, the best succession episodes of all time, um, a bunch of stuff about sticking the landing in series finales, and uh, cousin Greg features. Like, if you like succession, go check out the ringer.com. Coming up on this podcast, Rob Mahoney and I. Talk about game five, Celtics heat, which um, was a shockingly tense 13-point win where the Celtics were up 20 most of the time. Can the Celtics do this? Can they actually come back from 3-0? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little Jokic Murray as well uh, because we didn't talk about Jamal Murray enough in the last podcast. And then Van Lathan and Charles Holmes join us from the Ringerverse podcast. Van's been on this podcast many times. And we're going to do a succession character draft. We are going to do a draft, snake fashion, of the best succession characters. And it got heated. We yelled at each other. We got to make fun of Van because he had a classic Detroit picking a running back with the 12th pick mistake early. Um, But it was really fun. And we got to talk about the show and where we think it's going to go and where we think it's going to end on Sunday night. So there you go. That's the podcast first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is almost eight o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Rob Mahoney is here from The Ringer. Rob, the Celtics are trying to kill me. <laughs> what, are they, what have they done now? <laughs> this roller coaster ride. <laughs> what is happening? They have played eighteen playoff games. Uh, this is probably the most optimistic I've felt since Game Two of the Atlanta series. And I know I should feel optimistic. And I don't deep down feel optimistic, but that yeah. was a second good game in a row. Uh, Andrew Callahan, who is a Patriots beat reporter for the uh, Boston Herald tweeted, the Celtics have been turning in their homework at the last minute all playoffs <laughs> and hit their procrastinating <laughs> peak right before the finals. I've never identified with a team more in my life. Is that just sum it up there?
1: It's incredibly relatable. I mean, genuinely, especially for a team that we know empirically can be amazing defensively. It's just wild that it takes them this long in some of these games and some of these series to really start turning it up. And guess what? When the Celtics play defense, it turn, turns out they're actually pretty good. Right. And in, when they hit
0: 40% of their threes and they pressure defenders. That helps. And they chase the ball. It also, let's be fair, really helps that Miami is banged up and did not yes. have game fits in for this game. And Kyle Lowry, who I'm sure will look great in game six, looked like he was 55 years old tonight and oh. couldn't do anything. And the Celtics, I'd been waiting for them to do this. And they, they start doing it last game and then this game. They were pressuring ball handlers, trying to make it hard for Miami to get in their offense. Butler had another like, eh, game. But it felt like in the second half, they were in that mode of we might have to save you for Saturday night B be patient. But for the most part, it was the Celtics defense and the threes. And I want to talk about Tatum a little bit, but just fundamentally, when you watch this, it just seems like the Celtics have more talent being down three, two in this series. When you just look at the talent disparity, Robin, it's, it's still not great, but at least they're
1: alive. Yeah. I mean, there's the version of being the more talented team where you take that as an excuse to kind of play back, play a little easier, pick your spots, like think that you can manipulate and control the game. And then there's the version of having a talent advantage when you're sicking on every disadvantage that the other team has, every deficit in talent that they have. And that's to your point about Gabe Vincent and really the lack of ball handlers. I mean, not only is Gabe Vincent out at this game, you know, Tyler Hero is watching sideline in some very elegant pajamas. It brings me no joy that Kyle Lowry had such an awful game, but really his worst game of the playoffs. He's been really solid for Miami in the majority of these contests, but just didn't have it, kept losing control of the ball. And it's also just a really smart way to put pressure on Bam in a game where he knows he has to be aggressive and score, because like that's ultimately the issue with Bam, who had a great season, he's had a really good playoffs. But the more that you need him to be that guy, a go-to scorer type player, the more uncomfortable his scoring attempts are going to become. And we saw him, you know, trying to face up Al Horford in the post. Like that is not going to be his game, right? Like he's a guy you want generating offense in the flow of what you do not being discreet from it and isolating and, you know, dumping the ball down to him on the block. Because when he does that, you already see like he starts to put the ball on the floor, like he doesn't trust his positioning. He puts himself in vulnerable positions where now he's turning the ball over too. And this is probably your second or third most important creator with the roster you have now. And Miami just cannot sustain that way. They have to be just dramatically more careful with how they're handling it.
0: Would you say he's codependent offensively, like he needs another creator? Because I always feel like he's at his best when he's setting a pick for somebody and then he's kind of popping at the top of the foul line or he's getting a switch and somebody's off. But um, if you're just going to dump the bottom and tell him to create offense, I think, I think it gets a little dicier for him.
1: Yeah, he's, he's a much better scorer than someone like Draymond. And we saw like huge evolution yeah. in, in his mid-range game in particular over the course of this year. But ultimately, you're talking about the same thing, which is a guy who takes an advantage and builds on it, sprays out to shooters, can work handoffs, as you're saying, like plays off another star in a way that can be really incredible. And maybe that's ultimately where we should start. As you mentioned, Jimmy, like, I don't mean this in like a shock jock reactionary way, but what is going on with Jimmy Butler? Because he's looked tentative over these last two games now in a way he never did. Against Milwaukee. Oh, he's putting
0: that on you just he's putting that in his living room now. You just said that. Rob
1: <laughs> Mahoney, the ringer. That's it. It's going on a whiteboard. You just did it. You angered Jimmy Butler. That's all I'm looking to do in these playoffs. Like <laughs> everyone is mad about something. I want to be on somebody's shit list, on somebody's bolted board. Maybe Jimmy will be the guy who gets us there. Yeah.
0: It's he hasn't he's played a lot of minutes and yes. he's had an incredibly big responsibility. Um the Celtics are also making good adjustments and playing the right players in the series now. Yeah, you know, and I I, I could not have been more critical of of our guy Joe Mazz in the first three games. I think he did a pretty good job in Game Four. He I thought he did a really good job this game. You know, the Brogdon Brogdon has a tendon injury. I think they finally might have cut bait with that one because he you could tell he was shooting it. It almost looked like a Michael yeah. Kidd Grillcrest type of three. Um, I, I'm one of the things I'm wondering is. I'm not sure they can play Pritchard in Miami because Butler's going to hunt him unless Butler's not on the court. So do they go Sam Hauser? Do they just cut the rotation and just play seven guys? That's it. And have either smart or white out there at all times. Um, what's the move going to be? Because, you know, I wasn't surprised by it. I that these Coast Bias guys were asking me, what do I think was going to happen? And I was like, I think we win by 15 Or I could also see us losing by three. And I think those are the two (laughs) outcomes. Um, And if that game got close near the end, you can see it. Boston starts walking it up. Crowd gets quiet. Even though they're up 15, 16, that's not their style. It's not that walk it Mm -hmm. up slow, get into the offense with eight seconds left. They're not good at protecting leads. With that said, White, who has had a couple of months, last playoffs, he was out. He was private pile. He private piled it for like three games where it's like, wow, was he going to be able to stay in the NBA? Then he came kind of roaring back. Then he fell apart again. This playoffs, awesome. The beginning of the Atlanta series, got got a little teetery in the Philly series, and now he's the second best player on the team. And was I, this was a borderline Derek White game tonight by him.
1: Well, what do you mean a borderline Derek White game?
0: Because I think there's been other Derek White games where he's done this. I don't oh, this think is like borderline I, like forty the years Derek White game. Yeah, th- I don't think this was the Derek White game. Mm-hmm. I think it was a borderline Derek White game.
1: It was a Derek White game. A Derek White way. game. I mean, he yeah. was sen- he was sensational, right? I mean, if he plays this well, you can really afford to trim up your rotation a little bit and not have to worry about right. so much reserve guard play. I mean, you can you can stretch him as far as as he's willing to go. I think where things get dicey is if if you do ultimately end up cutting you know, the Brogdon spot and the Pritchard minutes wholesale. Now you're asking Marcus Smart to be a little bit more of a point guard, which is not really his strongest suit in this particular matchup. You know, not to say in general, also not quite his strongest suit. And that's where the Celtics could like show a little bit of limitation in the way Miami has with their ball handling, with their playmaking. We've seen it before plenty of times. So they do need that. I think what gives them confidence, or at least what should, is the longer the series has gone on, the more apparent is that Jason Tatum can get almost anywhere he wants to go against the variety of looks that the Heat are throwing at him. He just looks incredibly comfortable with all of the coverages he's seeing now.
0: Yeah, they're getting, you know, the zone is one of those things. It's a gimmick that works for a game or two or three, but now now it's five games of looking at it. The Celtics don't seem completely spooked by it, Anymore, so that's a bonus. The other kind—they're
1: kind of spooked, though. You know, well, but
0: not not like they were before. No, were like what the hell is this? <laughs> what? How many guys are out here? What do we do?
1: This radical new invention that we've never seen or yeah. heard of before.
0: Well, the other thing that's really helped is you know Miami in games one and games three just made crazy shots. Like shit happens, but they made a bunch of threes at a high percentage, and a lot of them were contested. And I forget—I saw somebody had a stat of most contested threes with a high shooting percentage. So mm. That was floating around Twitter and it was like Miami in game one and game three was like historically ridiculous yeah. at the at the uh the shot quality versus the shots actually going in. So they cooled off a little bit on that front. Um if you're if you're looking at this from a Miami standpoint. Yes. You're up three out and the Celtics were dead. Like that that and I I try not to get too people are gonna laugh when they hear this. So I try not to get too overreactive. <laughs> Yeah, with my teams. I try to be at least somewhat rational. The Celtics were dead after game three. They It looked like they quit. It looked like they rolled over. It looked like um, they had broken for the season. And if you had told me what was more likely in game four, which I, a bunch of people asked me, I, I would have said 80% they roll over, 20% maybe they hit some threes and find something and who the hell knows. Um, now they're alive. And now I think they understand Tatum is the best player in this series other than Jimmy, and we can debate 1A, 1B with those two guys. Defensively, better. Um, More options, more size. Their Their top seven is just deeper. And there's some things they stumbled into. And the coaching advantage, which I think Spo had the first couple games, now, you know, there's been some adjustments. I'm sure Joe Maz got a little help. Did you see he was calling timeouts a little bit more than him? There's a couple like run-stopping timeouts. He called a timeout with 31 seconds left in the third quarter to set up a good shot to put the Celtics up 20. Do you, think like he's, the, uh, do you think he's doing what?
1: them for you at this point? Like, is it, is it a love letter, an olive branch to you specifically that he's calling these timeouts? I
0: don't know. I would have called the timeout with 31 seconds left, but it worked. <laughs> but it reminded me of the Seinfeld when Costanza can't see but then he can spot a dime on the floor and, and <laughs> Seinfeld's like, you're, you're, you're eating onions, you're spotting dimes. I don't know what to think <laughs> anymore. And Joe Maz went from not calling any timeouts to now like using these key timeouts right at the end of the third quarter. Um, I, is it, I don't want to say he's gotten better, but I feel a little better about what I've seen strategy wise. Is that
1: fair? Absolutely. Okay. And I, look, ultimately the reason why we dwell on that story is because to your point about the advantages the Celtics have, the options that they have ahead of them, more so by far than what Miami has to work with. That's why we dwell on coaching, right? If you have all yeah. the answers, you're expected to not be down o three 3 in a series like this. And a lot of that responsibility is on the players too. A lot of it, you know, we can talk about Jason Tatum in the same capacity. A guy who can do a little bit of everything, who can navigate the floor in so many ways, he has to be better in, in those reads early in this series too. But he's found his way. And Joe has found his way. And the Celtics ultimately have put themselves in a, in a nice position to at least fight it out. But to your point that they were dead after three games, I mean, they might they might still roll over in game six. I Do you even trust them to show up at this point?
0: I'll answer that after this break. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. I repeat, $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win. I mean, look, Celtics, I think, are plus 110 to win the series on FanDuel right now. I would just bet the Celtics to win the series if you're going to bet the Celtics in game six. If you don't think the Celtics can win game six, bet Miami to win game six. I would take the Celtics money line for the series or Miami to win game six. You pick. You tell me what you're going to do. If you're going to take Miami, though, you could always same-game parlay with Jimmy Butler's points because if Miami's going to win, Jimmy's going to have to have a big game. Whatever you want to do, FanDuel has tons of great promotions every day on a safe and secure app that pays you instantly. When you win, there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com BS. Get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is FanDuel.com BS. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21-plus in select states. First online real money wager, only $10 deposit required. Refundation does not mature, but bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at slash sportsbook. Gambling prom, call 1 800 gambler, visit slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1 800 next step or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 809 with it in Indiana. 800-522-4700 or visit com in Kansas. 877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, 800-522-4700-WYOMING or 1800 gambernet in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day of work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned, slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new. Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So I don't know what happened to me in this series from a Celtics fan standpoint, but when Jeter and A-Rod were there in game four, you know, you start thinking, all right, what are the mechanics of a comeback? If We can get this one. Now game five's home. Uh, Gabe Vincent rolled his ankle. It didn't look good. Struce looks like he wasn't moving around that well. Some of the coaching stuff that they were doing, the Celtics were starting to solve it. And you think, all right, well, maybe they can win game five. I think game six is going to be an absolute beast for this team because Miami's going to ratchet it up. They're going to make it way more physical. Jimmy's going to try to assert his alpha manhood all over the game in all these different ways. And they're probably going to shoot way more threes. I mean, Rob, they only shot 23 threes tonight. Sometimes the Celtics That defense needs to be up higher. Well, really, right? yeah, like, true. B-
1: Boston chased them off the line really effectively. So part of that is there, but ultimately, Miami made nine threes. I think Boston had seven in the first quarter. That it, the margin just can't be that. Like you're just gonna have to fire away, no matter if you have to take a step back if you're Miami from the three-point line to get clearance. As you know, in particular, guys like Caleb Martin who've been hitting. Yeah. we've seen him, he's he's pretty choosy sometimes in the shots that he wants to take. He wants to keep the offense moving, I think, implicitly. So he might just have to force it. Some of these other shooters might have to force it. Kyle Lowry might have to be a little bit more perimeter-oriented, driving a little bit less. And that means Jimmy handling the ball much, much more than he did. In this and game. the
0: Celtics are throwing size or Grant Williams at Jimmy now. Like yeah.
1: there's, there's
0: no other scenario. And if, and if he ends up getting switched on a guard, they'll send somebody over and try to make him get rid of the ball. On the flip side, uh, I want to talk about Tatum because, you know, he's 25 years old. And I, I've kept saying that all playoffs and just big picture. I just don't think he's the player he's going to be two years from now. I have seen some stuff in these playoffs in particular that make me pretty optimistic. He still has a chance to go up a level. We talked about it a little on Tuesday's pod, but do you feel any different about Tatum than you did six weeks ago?
1: I mean, we've learned a lot. Right. Even just from things like game seven in Philly, things like his some of his early struggles in this series, you know, wasn't awful, but just had some some spots of turnovers even at certain times, some spaces defensively where he didn't seem to be making an impact on the game, honestly. Like when yeah. he was off the ball was just kind of there, was kind of floating around. And that was a dramatic difference team wide, was the Celtics were finding way to crowd passing lanes, to crowd driving lanes, to get a hand, to get a bump, to do all the things you would need to knock Miami off balance. I think Tatum was part of that as much as anybody. But offensively, just his problem-solving. We're seeing him evolve a little bit. We're seeing The passing him. was fantastic. Though. Oh my God. I mean, just, I, I encourage anyone, whether you watch this game or not, about halfway through the first quarter, Tatum catches the ball around like the elbow on a roll, basically, from Jalen Brown, who like way overthrew it. He does like a one-handed touch pass redirect to I think Al Horford right. in the corner. Yeah, that's Al like a wildly advanced and sophisticated play to make, un- like in contact in that moment on the move. We don't see that kind of thing from him all the time, but we did see a lot of plays in this where he's starting to set up the action a little bit more, right? Right. And- I mean, I, I do. I think it's right to be frustrated with the Celtics in all the ways we've described. Like, if they are going to be the procrastinators who are turning in their homework at the last minute, like they have, they have every answer. Jason Tatum has every tool, man, zone, whatever the Heat are running, they should be able to break this stuff down. And, and I thought Tatum did a really spectacular job of just parsing what was in front of him in a way that sometimes the Heat make really difficult. Like they will put doubt into your head as to like what is this coverage? Is this a, is this a zone press? like are how are they going to guard this pick and roll like they mix it up enough to put a little bit of doubt in your head and we're seeing Tatum sort through some of that doubt. Yeah, today, you know, 21-8 and 11,
0: 8 for 16 wasn't going nuts from 3, but no. there was a sophistication to what he was doing. And you know, I, I if he's learned anything these playoffs especially, a they follow his lead. They just do. He's the best guy in the team. And he came out tonight and had real energy and was attacking. Um, he had a couple shots early, but his defense, you can kind of tell pretty early with him whether he's locked in or not. And maybe the light bulb went off with him in game four, especially of like, i if they're going to follow me or we're going to go right into the ocean here. So that was one thing. Um, the other thing is the, the rebounding with him. He's over 10 a game in the playoffs. You know, I had that thing. I tweeted it today. I did all the homework for the 42 club. That was something I had, the first time I did it was in 2006. It was when Nowitzki was ascending and Mm -hmm. ended up making the finals. And I was like, what? I wonder if there's some way to figure out, you know, if something's happening that seems a little bit special. And I did all these things and I ended up with the number 42 for points, rebounds and assists combined in a playoff series. And the reason I ended up at 42 is it was the best cutoff for Carl Malone because I was trying to figure out how can I have a list? So I was I was doing the classic statistical thing where it's like, I kind of want to get to the result <laughs> that I want, but I also want to come up with something cool. Sure. And it was like, for, he had a bunch of 41s and I was like, what if it's 42? And then the list with 42 got really good. And it was just the elite of the elite. I mentioned this because, first of all, Jokic is at 53.5 right now, which is nuts. Like this, this is... <sighs> There's only like a couple guys. It's basically him, LeBron, and like Wilt, I think, have ever been in that territory. But Tatum's in there. Uh, He's he was 43.6 heading in this game. He's still over 43. But this is you're talking all the best players in the history of the league. There's no, no, literally no uh, gimmies in the 42 club. The the shakiest guy out of the guys who haven't made the finals who played at least 13 games was Blake Griffin in 2015. Just from a historical standpoint, yeah. Blake Griffin was fucking awesome in Yeah, MVP candidate in
1: 2015. Yeah, he
0: was one of the best five players in the league, so I'm okay with that. If you go to guys who've made the finals, it's everybody. Even the guys who only did it once, Rick Barry, John Havlicek, Dave Cowens, Magic, Charles Barkley, Kobe, Iverson, Duncan, Kawhi, Giannis Jokic. Now, the stats are a little different now because because of the pace and things like that. Yeah. But the point is, like, I do think he's that talented. Like, it's not crazy for him to be on list like that. And I don't think he's the guy who he's supposed to be. The reason i bring this up, the best chance, if you're getting excited about the Celtics coming back from 3-0 and the Celtics having a chance the next round, it's like that Tatum went up another level. And I, we've at least seen it for the first two games, right? Or for the first two wins.
1: Yeah, definitely so. I mean, I, I don't want to gloss over just the incredible numerology display you just went through, though. are you Thank Are you, you walking around seeing fours and twos everywhere now, are they're just like popping off of walls <laughs> into your life. It's a great you're gonna, one. You're going to come on the next pod with 42 scrawled all over <laughs> your face. I can't wait. Yeah. But no, like Tatum, Tatum has evolved. Brown has settled into, I thought this was, this might've been his best game of the series just in terms of like how calm Jalen Brown played, you know, like was absorbing contact, was attacking inside, knocked down a couple shots, which obviously doesn't hurt given where he's been throughout some of this series. But Tatum is the big reason. You know, when, when he is playing this comfortably, and I think for, you know, you, you read off his stat line and it's not going to pop in the way that his game seven stat line popped, but he didn't press. He played 41 minutes. I don't think he pressed a single time other than one just very uh, poorly advised behind the back full court pass. He attempted yeah. uh, like toward the end of this game. Short of that was in full control against a, a really good opponent, against an opponent that has had his number in some of these games and made it really difficult for his offense in some of these games, there's a lot of sophistication to that kind of approach in ways that benefits, you know, w- w- it's going to come down to on some level, guys like Marcus Smart and Derek White and all these supporting players hitting their open threes and they hit all those shots. But Tatum is a lot of the reason they have those open shots. And yep. I think he he's getting them even better looks now than the Celtics were generating at the start of the series.
0: Yeah, even going back to last year, I think there's, he's gone up a level. From that standpoint, it's just the intensity piece. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, because you're an innocent bystander here. Do you think he has the talent to be the best player in the league? Yes. Not th- I'm not saying right now. Yeah. I'm just saying like in the next four years,
1: do you think the talent is there? I think he has the talent for it. Well, I mean, even when you consider where he is right now, I think, you know, we go through this exercise all the time for the rankings for the ringer. Like, where where does Jason Tatum fall among these other elite players? Most pessimistically, you would say eight. eight, Like, the eighth best player in the league currently. And at his age, to be already that good with his body type, knowing that he's only going to get like physically stronger, he's only going to be able to attack even more in that way. You're already seeing in games like this, when he wants to get downhill and has it in his head that that is how I'm going to attack this matchup coming out of the gate. He's getting all the way to the rim, finishing really strong. To have that, and you know the mid-range potential, the floater potential, the three can be incredibly deadly some nights. And but even when he doesn't make, he's still pretty good, pretty effective with yep. the long ball. A guy like that who's also a two-way player that that can be the best player in the league. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But with him, he doesn't have that like one overwhelming quality that guys like Durant have, the guys like Giannis have, the guys have Le- LeBron have. So he has to be more tactical to get there. Like he has to absolutely master the mental game, the matchup game, understanding what he can create and when and how. And that's yeah. ultimately going to be his key to getting that far.
0: Yeah, there was one time today where they posted him up. In the, I think it was in the third quarter because um, he, he had a little size mismatch on somebody and the Heat completely overreacted to it and sent a double. And I, to me, that's like the last piece with him. We talked about it a little on Tuesday's pod, mm-hmm. but... Um, I just feel like as I think of him, 25, 26, 27, 28. Yeah. And he starts adding stuff, right? And that's that's all the great guys add stuff every summer. And that's going to be the piece when he's around the low block with some size, spinning both ways, shooting a little turnaround over people. Um, I think that'll be the next thing for him. It might be too early for him. And this is, you know, this is a team that could lose by 20 on Saturday night. I'm fully prepared for it, right? (laughs) They could just suck. Some bad shots. Throw, you know, they're, they're one for 10 from three. Jalen Brown's dribbling it to three guys. All of a sudden, they're down 10. Jimmy's pointing at people. Um, that's the thing with the Celtics season. I don't know what to trust. I don't know what to believe. I, I'm i pretty worn down, Rob. I'm worn down mentally. I'm it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. It's kind of like having kids. When, <laughs> when you have a kid and you have a great day, like when you have like a three-year-old and they have like oh, a great yeah. day. And then the next day, they took off their diaper and just whipped it across the room. And you're like, what happened? We had such a good day yesterday. Well, I'm, like I am like what it's like to be a Celtics fan this spring.
1: I'm ready to see whatever the whipping the diaper across the room equivalent <laughs> is for Boston on on Saturday. I think it's it's going to be a hell of a thing to watch one way or another. But I look, I fear for your mental health. I It's, it's going to be okay one way or I the I didn't
0: other. think it would matter this much. But when I hit 50, I was like, sports won't matter this much. Well, uh, if you're Miami, I think the one thing you probably stumbled into... Was you got these really good Highsmith minutes? Yeah. I've liked Highsmith all season. He's one of those guys. He, he, if there was a why doesn't that guy play more all-star team? I feel like he would be at least in the top six. He's very comfortable. Um, he was a guy who scored a shitload in college. He was like one of those div two, like fill-it-up guys. He's pretty comfortable on defense. Like he can switch on people and and he doesn't seem scared. And I wonder, like, do we see way more of him in game six. I probably think we do, right?
1: I think you definitely could. I mean, just by the fact that he started the second half of this game is a pretty good indicator of that. You know, you could see him either plugging in for some of those Kevin Love minutes and and giving a a kind of a different look overall for Miami or just over the course of the game, absorbing some of that kind of workload as they go. But they're going to need, whether it's him or someone like him, but he's definitely the best candidate for it for the reasons you just described. Defensively, he is like solid enough to hang with some of Boston's wings for some possessions at a time. You don't want him as the primary guy. He can be like, he's a, a really good and physical on-ball defender, but can get a little loose in concept in terms of like how to direct guys into help and things like that. So there's, there's some things left to be desired. But between that and offensively, you're really relying on him to be just like random offense. He, he's yeah. not a reliable knockdown corner shooter, though he did hit some of those shots in this game he's a guy you want on the cut and on the move. And again, it's another guy who the more Miami is, is flowing, the better off he's going to look. And he was drafting off of like some of the attention that Jimmy and bam were getting in this game to pretty good effect. But you hope you can replicate that. Like the Haywood Highsmith, uh, like offensive minutes over the, our offensive production over the course of this season has not exactly been like game to game steady. I'm not positive
0: he's a real person. I think no. the Heat might have invented him. Just showed up? He might be AI. I mean, Hayward hey, Highsmith might not... <laughs> he might be, a, be created in a lab. It's a name that you would create in a 2K game. Without a doubt. You'd be like, I've just created a player for myself. His name is Heywood Highsmith. Yep. Um, he's got like the random generic skills of like 70 different swing guys. Uh, do you think we see Harrow in game six? They showed him shooting before the game. This was right around the time when they thought he might be ready.
1: Yeah. I mean, a part of me hopes so. Like I am not ready for another bucket hat performance from him. So like <laughs> I, I look, I I, I, I we're we're am gonna leave that aside. Um uh, yeah. I don't I don't think so, but they certainly could use him for any capacity that he has to be out there. It's just it's if a he's really, gonna
0: play in the series, you'd gotta put him game six, not game seven. You, you can't throw at least him into throw him out seven. for a
1: second game yeah. six, right? But but like a game six is Basically a must-win game for Miami too. You know, it's still a really high stakes moment to throw a guy who is coming back from a major injury, is coming back against now a pretty actualized Boston defense that's gonna be ready to attack, ready to smell blood in the water. I think that could be a pretty tough situation to throw him in given this given the circumstances. Can I
0: throw a Tyler Hero thing in you? Be, and the only reason I'm throwing it at you is because two different people who don't know each other who are basketball people have mentioned it to me. Okay. And the first time it got mentioned, I was like, whoa, that's a hot take. And then the second time, it kind of made my brain churn a little bit. The theory was that the Heat are actually better off without Hero. Yeah. That because he's not in the lineup, somebody like Caleb Martin was able to play more. They have more of a defensive identity. Jimmy feels like he has more ownership over the proceedings. It's really his team and his offense. Um, the stuff that he did, especially in Milwaukee, maybe that doesn't happen in the same way if Hero isn't there. And just in general, like there's a little Ewing theory factor with Hero, even though he's not a superstar. But uh, I thought it was an intriguing theory. What are
1: your thoughts? This stuff is definitely in the air right now. There's there's a lot of this going around, a lot of people wondering out loud. And honestly, I, I don't think this is a totally new conversation. I think there's always been a thought with Hero that while what he does is valuable, and he can he can definitely create offense and run offense and generate looks, and also play like second side in a way that's valuable for some good teams, between some of his like ebbs and flows offensively and just like the target that he is defensively, yeah, that maybe Miami would be better off moving off of him at a certain point. You know, that's a tough argument to make after Bam and Kyle Lowry just combined for like 10 turnovers in this game. Right and and Jimmy like while he's been exceptional through the majority of these playoffs, didn't quite look like Jimmy or at least didn't perform up to his standards. It's a tough argument to make. Uh, now you're on his whiteboard again. <laughs> just think, took two shots at Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't like that. <laughs> no, my uh, he doesn't
0: like this Rob Boni character. Never
1: never going to be a lot in big <laughs> I, face ever just again. My,
0: I just want to say I thought Jimmy was fantastic tonight and he's been great <laughs> all series, wow. even in both losses. I thought he played with a ton of
1: courage and heart. <laughs> just throwing me right under the bus, but. <laughs> They, look, they could have used them. To, they could have used them tonight, flat out. They could have used Tyler here. So that's tonight.
0: how I feel. I, I, I actually, I just don't agree. I like the theory. It made me think. Of, and yeah, sure, you can hunt them on defense, but you can also hunt Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent's like six one and a half. Sure. So there's always going to be somebody out there. You know, Duncan Robinson's out there. Um, they play a ton of zone anyway. I think they miss his shot making in these games, like the game like today, when Butler's, you know, four for eight in the third quarter, and they kind of yeah. need that wildcard, dude. So that's my thing. I mean, and they do have Caleb Barton, the best player in the league, so that helps. <laughs> just throw him in. He
1: just makes everything. I mean, what a what a, what a gem of a, of a series he's had. But ultimately, like, it's not even just the turnovers and stuff, too, that we've been talking about, but the number of Miami possessions that went really deep into the clock where they just generated nothing at all. Right. That's a great, like, dump it to Tyler Hero, see if he can get, like, a mid-range pull-up that can help us sustain in this little run. And it, Look, I guess I'm going on Jimmy's Jimmy's board one more time because at the beginning of this game, it looked like Butler and the Heat's overall strategy was like, let's try to keep Jimmy out of the fray in the first quarter. Let's try to get Lowry generating offense. Let's try to get Bam generating some offense so that we can shift to Jimmy over the course of it, presumably later in the game. Right. Uh, But by the time like the turnovers started coming, the Heat couldn't score. Boston was scoring every time down the floor. All of a sudden, you're down 13, 15 points. I think that proposition is different if hero is part of that formula and you can lean on him as being part of your secondary creating like squad for secondary creation, as opposed yeah. to just Lowry, who, I mean, just had a bum game.
0: He's just at a different phase of his career. I think it's tough to count on him. Also, he's played a lot of minutes. Like, yeah. on, you know, that heater and other team that's they they played five against Milwaukee, six against the Knicks, five here, mm-hmm. So he's at the 16 game mark. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody about how Tatum. We were talking about how Joe took him out in the top of the fourth quarter, and he was out for like three minutes, and Miami started climbing back, and it was just like Jason Tatum's twenty-five. Like, keep playing. I went to that Denver game, and Mike Malone was at some point. It's like I have Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic. They're pretty young. I got. Yeah. I'm just gonna ride these guys. Um, you can't do the same thing with some of these guys on this Miami team. No, you know if. If the Celtics did at least come back and force a game seven, and you would say, man, what an unbelievable situation for them. They still have to like run over Jimmy Butler in their car, then put put on the brakes, back up, make sure Michael Myers style, make sure, maybe <laughs> get out, try to try to cut his head off. Is he still moving?
1: I just you don't even be think sure.
0: I just can't think of a worse person to try to come back on 3-0 for like at some point he's just gonna be like, this is just not happening. I'm not putting this on my resume. So my guess is game six will be his game when he brings out everything, when he yep. shows up with basically every weapon in his, in his, <laughs> in his uh, arsenal and he's super physical and he's talking shit. Um, but man, if, if they did come back and they became the first NBA team ever to come back from 3-0 and win, What a bizarre turn for the Jimmy Butler story. Absolutely. Where we're doing six straight weeks of Jimmy Butler, oh my God, playoff Jimmy, this guy's a fucking legend. And then he blows a three-nothing lead in the playoffs. That'd be unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Do you think he would get covered just from the fact that, as we've said, the Heat are undermanned they have would. injuries like I, I don't still, think he it's would,
0: still on his, it would still be on his
1: resume though it would be on his resume I, I and I don't think he should be blamed in that instance if it comes if that comes to pass unless he just like absolutely implodes over the next two games which no one would expect to happen but I think that's what makes this kind of it, it, you know the heat have a lot of a lot of cover like if they lose they were supposed to lose right like they this was not a series they were supposed to win to begin with and so the fact yeah. that they got up to the 3-0 lead gives them some room to operate here I think the question is how would you feel if the Celtics forced game 7 and lose. If that's where we end up, where where does that leave you? <laughs> you mean th- the scenario that's been
0: in my head this whole <laughs> week. Um it would be the most Celticsy way for this whole thing to end. Yeah. You know, it's not like they have a they've been lights out at home. It's not like Jimmy and those no. guys would be afraid of playing on the road. I think the one thing that makes me feel okay just about everything is how hard how hard it was for Miami to get good shots tonight. Because I don't think Miami, I don't think they went into this game like, hey, we don't have Gabe Bitson. Let's just, we'll we'll just kind of throw it around and see what happens. Like they were in it. They were trying to win. They were trying to get good shots. The Celtics threw a ton of length on Jimmy. They ran Miami off the three-point line as much as possible. And Miami didn't, they just don't have that second guy who can, you know, save a possession with seven seconds left. And the Celtics, you know, Jalen Brown, who drives me crazy, but he can, if there's six seconds left, he can figure out some sort of shot to get off. Absolutely. Derek White can, has that little move when he can go in the paint and do his little floater shot. Tatum obviously can. Smart can, like, they can do all kinds of weird things with them. He's not afraid to take a shot. Um, it just felt like Miami, the quality of the shots they got were awful. And it was because of the Celtics defense. So yeah. I don't know whether the Celtics unlocked something or what's going on. Rob, I, th- I did not expect Saturday night to to be looming like this.
1: <laughs> I, Clear the schedule. You know, it's this is an all hands on deck situation. This is gonna be a very important game. High stakes. And the high stakes. Where- well, just where we have no idea. Uh, you know how many 04
0: Red Sox threads I'm on right now? Like, there's <laughs> like a hundred of them. The compare and contrast to 2004 Red Sox threads. It's it's fucking dark.
1: I'm so, I'm so sick of the Red Sox comparison already. Like, we we barely even begun this thing, and it's just it's it's too Boston for me. Well, I can't just do wait it. if if a game seven somehow by
0: some miracle happens. Oh God. There won't be like one or two 2004 Red Sox guys there. I'm just going to predict that. The whole
1: bullpen is going to be out there?
0: What are they going to have? I I think all 25. I even think Curtis (laughs) Laskanek might might be there. You might see the whole team. (laughs) It's been just far enough away that, you know, it's 19 years ago. There's this Mm -hmm. whole nostalgia aspect to it. Now, the Miami fans are listening to this going, God damn, if we can just beat them in game six and shove, they can take the 2004 Red Sox and shove it right up their asses. But this is why this is... Kind of turned into a nice little rivalry here. Yeah. Right. There was that little late 2000s to up till 2012, basically, during that uh, Wade LeBron era where they had some good playoff series. Wade broke Rondo's elbow intentionally. Uh, and then we had the what 2000 to 2000, we, three of the last four years, we've seen them go head to head. Plus, they had the series against Jimmy. So it feels like there's a lot of DNA going, going all different ways, but we haven't had like the awesome game yet. No. We've had some interesting games. We haven't had a game where both teams
1: played really well at the same time. That's the thing. And we even had, I think, I want to say it was a Caleb Martin quote. After the Heat went up 3-0, they like, this was the matchup we wanted. Right? Like, they mm. wanted this chance to go at Boston again to prove some things, to exercise some of their own demons. So, the, I, this is definitely a rivalry. There's definitely enough animosity to it. There's definitely enough, like, X and O intrigue. But we have to have that game. We have to have that game where both teams are playing relatively well and one of them is just stunted by how overwhelming the other side is. Hopefully we can get that. I, I think that's kind of the problem with where the Heat are is if the Heat do fail, it's going to be them kind of sputtering out. Not that they're, you know, edged out at the finish line.
0: So you think Joe Maz saved his job? <laughs> Let's say they lose game six. Yeah. I think he comes back now.
1: You think? I don't he, think he could come already, back if he's they got already swept. locked it up.
0: I think he was put in a terrible spot. Yes. I think if they team rolled over in Game Four like they rolled over in Game Three, I don't see how he comes back. But they didn't roll over, right? No. I think, and especially I taped that podcast after Game Four, right after the game. I didn't read some of the quotes. There was some real pride. On that, on that team. And just like those guys were like, Hey, we had to figure this out. We really care about each other. We want to try to, you know, go out with some pride. It's like, okay. Cause we've seen this the other way, right? The one, two, three Cancun version of how these seasons end. And they had the outs. They easily could have been like, cool, we're done. And then things will blow up. And they just, they didn't do it. And it seems like a team that maybe, uh, maybe grew into each other a little bit. Before we go. Denver's sitting there going, this is great. We're going to play M- Miami. We're, literally, Jokic is going to overpower everyone on the team. We're, we just r- ripped through the Lakers. We have, uh, we have not lost at home. We have the best player in the world. This looks like a layup. I wonder who they're rooting for. Who do you think they're rooting for in this Miami-Boston series?
1: I think at this point, it's probably Miami. Again, just because they're going to be a little dinged up by the time they get there, yeah. and the, you just don't have the like what if factor of when Boston is fully engaged and playing well. There's there's the thing, this thing that happens like the difference a lot of times between how players look at other players and teams and how we as like media members do. Players, when they're evaluating each other, they're thinking like, "What can you theoretically do?" Right? If we if I roll yeah. into one game with you, can you beat me? Versus I think our instinct is like, "What." over the the average of the season, over a long enough timeline, how does it usually level out? Like, what, kind, what does your performance look like? What does your effort look like? Where do you rate out? And those are two very different prospects. And I think ultimately, Boston is the kind of team where if you're thinking about who can beat us in one game, no matter who you are, Boston is that team. Like, they have all of the options, as we've discussed. They have the deeper team. They have the better roster. They have the better high-end talent. You know, Let's let's even say t- like Tatum and Butler are kind of draw like at a draw, but other than that, they really have the better supporting cast. And so, if you're Denver, I think you don't necessarily want that op- that that outcome. That said, I, th- I think the Nuggets beat either of these teams. But if you have to pick and choose, and you're the Nuggets, I think they would probably prefer to play the Heat.
0: What do you think the line is for the Celtics Heat series? Who do you think's favored?
1: It's got to be the, it's, it's got to still be Miami, right?
0: It's Miami minus one thirty. It's getting so real it's tight even. The Celtics are plus one ten. The Celtics were like, I think like plus eight fifty heading into game four. I think Miami was like minus eleven hundred. Wow. Something like that. Because everyone saw what we both saw that Boston looked like a one, two, three Cancun team. Yeah. No, that hasn't happened. Uh last question is is Jokic the undisputed best guy in the league for you? I think I think we're there. You
1: know, we, we I think we,
0: we're there we're there, right, officially.
1: Yeah, we we tried to litigate all that out after I think it was after Giannis got eliminated and the Bucs got eliminated. Right, we, did we were a talking whole about that. About it. Um what Jokic has done has just been indisputable. You know, it, it, how systematically he's deconstructed these teams and these coverages, everything that he creates, the way he's held up defensively, but really just the fact that like Look, the Lakers were going to be the best defensive test that the Nuggets were probably going to see all playoffs. They rolled into that series as the best defensive team in the postseason. Let me tell you, they're not anymore. You know, they they stumble down the defensive leaderboard specifically because of all of the pressure he puts on you to be perfect all the time. And I think we're seeing exactly how that can manifest when he's willing to be a super aggressive scorer in some of these games, when he's playing huge minutes basically as many minutes as, as are required in some of these matchups, it's hard to beat a player like that. I, I think anyone is going to be hard-pressed to do it this year. That was one of my
0: big reasons for picking them. I picked them before the season, but then before the finals too, because they had home court. And I just felt like the the biggest issue of the team was when Jokic was on the floor, but in the playoffs, everybody plays 40 to 42 minutes. Yeah. Suddenly not that big of an issue. I think the the pleasant surprise has been Murray going to another oh, level like he did. I mean, he has been smoking, awesome. I, I probably didn't talk about it enough on the Tuesday podcast. because KOC and I just had like, we basically just covered ourselves in yogic sauce and just grilled <laughs> yogurt burgers on the grill and had a whole yogurt dinner. Um, <laughs> I
1: have questions, we, but I'm going to leave yeah, that. <laughs>
0: uh, we didn't talk enough about just how unafraid Jamal Murray was. And I actually thought, From an officiating standpoint, I just thought he was getting like mauled, especially Mm. in game three, and he just fought through it and um, really went up the ladder for me. I haven't, probably between the conference finals and finals, I'll probably make some new list of, all right, who are my favorite best or who are the best players right now? Murray's moved up the ladder for me. I think I, I just think if you're trying to win a title, that's like exactly the kind of guy you'd want. And if you're just talking about somebody's number two. Yes. He might be the best number two right now. You would have said Jalen Brown before, but I, I just think you would take Murray over Jalen Brown if you're looking at what we just watched over the playoffs.
1: I mean, Devin Booker's pretty good. You know, like there's a lot of second best players that are. That's true. Pretty I forgot about. It. I you forgot know.
0: about. Uh, I, w- I was only thinking of teams left in the playoffs. But you're right. If we're going, if we're going to all teams. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would say Kevin Durant's the number two in that team,
1: though. Oh, well, there you go. But to to the larger <laughs> to the larger question, I think. The way he and Jokic, their games intersect, is as satisfying and productive and is dominant, so as dominant as you see fun. any stars in the league. Just as, just as a viewer of the game, the sheer variety of what they can manifest out of those handoffs and those pick and rolls, the way they can invert them, the way they can pull them all around the floor. That was Denver's late game offense in so many of those games against LA was, we're going to clear out the right side of the floor we're going to run this dribble handoff or this pick and roll, and we're going to get bucket after bucket after bucket right. in every way imaginable, whether it's for one of them, for an open three, for someone, you know, Aaron Gordon dunking, ducking in for a dunk. It's just such like a rich way to play basketball when you have all of that kind of optionality. And so there's, of course, you can pick and choose stars and say like, you know, there are second best players on other teams that are better than Jamal Murray, but there's no two teammates who bring more out of each other, I don't think at this point, than Murray and Jokic. Like they synergize so well. It's a great point. And I I wish I had made it on Tuesday
0: because that's the key thing with, it's been Jokic, 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 right? Jokic is getting this belated victory lap. But there's also this other piece about Jokic with Murray together. Yeah. And how special of a combo they are just with how how well they know each other at this point. It, it's very like... uh you know, I'm trying to think of other guys that had this, but like Nash and Amari. Yes. You know, for years where they just, they Nash just completely knew Amari. He knew exactly how to use him at all times. And the same thing he had with Dirk. Um, CP and Blake, I don't feel like ever quite got there. Yeah. Um, there was just like one little piece missing that the Jokic and Murray are just attuned in a really, really special way. I even think Kobe and Gasol, even though Kobe's not exact, you know, Kobe was always kind of a one man show and the, mm-hmm. you know, used his teammates when he needed them. But I always thought him and Gasol like really developed something in those two title teams, where they there was some sort of kind of synchronicity that they had that was really special. Um, you know, when you see it, they definitely have it at a. Anybody right now. And next year it'll be Victor Wambidiama and Austin Reeves (laughs) and San Antonio Spurs. Wow. And San Antonio gives Austin Reeves (laughs) ninety eight point seven million dollars to be one (laughs) sidekick. I I, Rassella and I were talking about on the phone this morning. I I I genuinely don't know how the Lakers are gonna afford Reeves. Well they have some protections with the arenas rule, no? Yeah, but if somebody offers ninety eight point seven, they have to they can match it, which is great. But with these aprons and this stuff, sure. these the way this new CBA is, it's really complicated now to just keep your guys. The Celtics are going to be in the same issue with Brown and Tatum together. I'm still like trying to figure out the aprons because... I think they, teams are there's, too. There's some stuff in there that it's like, whoa, this is actually really going to change basketball. still talked about on his podcast a little today. Um, I don't really know like if, if somebody just came at Reeves in a big way. I don't really know what the Lakers would do. They would have to match it. But then... Now it's <sighs> now you have all these other problems. Like I don't think they can afford him and Rui together, because Rui might be like a fifteen million dollar guy now.
1: I mean, if you got to pick and choose, you You're pick Austin Reeves. Reeves absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I well, th- no one is preparing that big an offer sheet for Austin Reeves, are they? Well, free agency. You take cap space.
0: You take what you think a guy is worth in your head, and then you add thirty five percent to that. So if you, do you think Reeves is like a $14 million a year God, guy?
1: yeah. I, I, yeah, 13, I guess we ha- 13, 14? We have to factor in the overpay, you're right. and So honestly, that's the, 20 now. One of the other things about the new CBA is, I, and we might have to fact check this to make sure that this is still the case, but I believe there was a provision in there basically not making it as beneficial for teams that are below the salary floor to stay below the salary floor. Right. So there's more incentive to, even if you're bad, to just like spend the money you have up closer to the cap. So there's more reason for a team like San Antonio or whoever it is that's kind of like, oh, we're still going to be a lesser team next season. But Austin Reeves is a young guy who could be interesting to our, to our future. Like maybe we do just roll the dice and take a pass at him and see what happens. Load this thing up with as many like punitive provisions as we can possibly put in, you know, front load, back load, whatever you need to do to make it uncomfortable for the Lakers and see what happens. Well, LeBron might
0: retire too, if you believe that story.
1: That's certainly a possibility that he has suggested could happen, yeah. I guess. Um, I, I'm more and more kind of grossed out by
0: that as the days pass. Grossed out? Yeah. Yeah, a little grossed out. Why grossed you out? Know what? You you got swept and Jokic was the best player in this series. And it just felt like uh, throwing something out there to get some attention versus mm. just like saying, you know what? That Denver was great. They beat us and Jokic is unbelievable. Like, somehow LeBron became the center of attention after, I do not think he's going to retire. I think there's a 0% chance. No, not going to happen. Like, a 0% chance. And, you know, we had talked about it with Jovan Buha on Tuesday. There was, you know, clearly a ploy and an intent to send some sort of message to the Lakers, but, I don't know, wait a day. Let Jokic... I just like, when when you get beaten, especially swept, let the other team enjoy the sweep for two seconds before (laughs) you start stealing the headlines. Did you see that clip of how ESPN covered the two minutes right after the Nuggets won? When they were just showing LeBron walking off the floor into the tunnel. It was basically like you saw no Nuggets celebrating. (laughs) They were so sad to lose LeBron, and now everybody has to figure out how to talk about Denver. And Meanwhile, we've all been talking about Denver on every podcast, and Jokic and all this <laughs> stuff. So at least Jokic is going to get the casual fan victory lap.
1: Oh, yeah. I of just, all this. Just let let me know when you want a moment to come on here and talk about like Jeff Green and Michael Porter Jr. as much as we talk about Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves and you know, oh the, the LeBron supporting cast. I'm Look, we're ready for it. You know, here at the TheRinger.com, we are prepared. Well, my favorite is old man
0: Jeff Green. I was talking about this with the guy I went to the game with on Monday. Um... It's like old man Jeff Green still holding it down. Uh, he was in the same draft as Kevin Durant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sobering thought, <laughs> who, you know. Who just had, who just got traded for Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, four first rounders in a swap. They're not the same age because Jeff Green was in college. I think yeah. for two years longer, but still same thing. They're in the well, same draft.
1: Plus, he he was Uncle Jeff even when he was a rookie. He just looks right. like an Uncle Jeff, you know. So so now he's Grandpa Jeff.
0: It's pretty funny.
1: Uh, all right, Rob Mahoney, we can. When when's the next podcast? We'll have one on Sunday coming out coming out of this uh, out of this Saturday night game. Who uh
0: who's gonna win in succession?
1: What does winning mean?
0: Who's gonna be running Waystar?
1: Uh I think Shiv is gonna be running it. I don't think it's gonna feel like winning.
0: Who do you think was picked first in the succession character draft that's about to run after the break, after you leave that me and Vane and Charles Holmes
1: did? Uh Carolina.
0: Okay, she, <laughs> she did go higher on the draft <laughs> than I expected. I got to tell you. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not entirely good. surprised by that. You would have loved my draft board. Van makes an unbelievable early pick that just the draft board, the draft Knicks were killing him. Uh, anyway, Rob Mahoney, great to see you. Thanks, Bill. All right, taping this on a Wednesday. The Midnight Boys from the Ringerverse are here. Charles <laughs> Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Van, Van Lathan. You have your Jokic jersey. Did you buy it yet? I did buy it.
2: I bought the Jokic jersey. By the way, I should say that um, me buying the Jokic jersey is not because I lost any bet. It's just a surrender. (laughs) And it's a surrender. And that's how you have it. I mean, look, I I just told Tate, uh, I'm a hater, but I'm not a liar. (laughs) <laughs> the dude's been phenomenal
0: so Van like, surrendering
3: to the white man I never thought I would see it
0: Well I'm not the thing is right Van, Van's case was always Do something make the finals And then Jokic said cool I'm gonna <laughs> now make the finals And now Van's nah, Now you nah, can basically nah, nah, nah. say he Now win the title And that would be your next thing No nah, he didn't He didn't say He didn't say I'm gonna make
2: the finals He said I'm gonna make the finals As a cross between Oscar Robertson Larry Bird and goddamn yeah. Shaq. <laughs> he didn't he did just, <laughs> did just say, I'm going to make the finals. He said, watch me rip the heart out of your beloved Lakers. I just told Tate, I did something with Tate. Tate's great. Watch uh, through the ringer. I said, it was like watching Rocky Four, just like watching Drago just fucking destroy Apollo Creed. And you're like, I don't know if there's anybody who could beat that guy. Mm. Big Eastern European wrecking machine, you know?
0: I like that. Drago would be a good nickname for him. Well, we're not here to talk about Drago. Uh, You guys, because we're doing, we have the Prestige TV pod. We've been doing recaps. We've been doing precaps. We have the watch. You guys had just a slew of succession takes ready to go. Um, Ready to be fired in the chamber. We're going to do a best characters draft because the season finale is on Sunday. But before we do that, uh, let's. Let's talk about big picture this show in the hierarchy. Charles, where does this show rank for you?
3: If it does what I think it's going to do in the series finale, this is officially my greatest TV show of all time. Like wow. I like I know I'm being like a take artist right now, but in my soul I really really feel it. And I know I know Van feels it as well. Like I didn't think it was possible cuz living plus those those mid episodes this season, I was like It's getting shaky, but the last two or so episodes, I'm like, man, we're about to have something special. So it's incredible. So how old are you exactly?
0: I'm 30. Okay. So you were, so Sopranos, you had to catch up on as an adult.
3: Yeah. But here's the thing. This is why I ding the Sopranos, even though I like it. Like those are my countrymen. I grew up in Jersey. I grew up in a very Italian place, you know, like Sopranos was my life. So yeah. It's like watching it is a little bit different. The thing that for me, Succession had to be, it has to be Mad Men and it has to be The Wire. And right now I'm like, The Wire is always going to be more to me. It's going to be the more important show. And Mad Men is like, has a special place in my heart as a writer. But man, Succession, this feeling,
0: I don't know. It's amazing. Mm. Van, we talked about, you're a little closer to my age, but I always had like my Mount Rushmore and Sopranos and The Wire, they just had to be on. Those were the two. Like we talk about, like the prestige shows, and then those other two spots kind of depend on the person and what right. you like. And it, and that now you're, it's almost like ranking the basketball players when you get to like you. You have to have Russell and you have to have LeBron and you have to have MJ. And then once you get to four, you you know Kareem should be the choice, but some people will go little rogue at that point. I did not think we would have anybody else in that level. To me, if Succession nails the season finale, it has to be in the top three and the top four, especially Hell from, yeah. well, we, one of the things we talk about on Prestige is just, it's the best acted show I've ever seen. It has, like, so, if you're going to ding the Sopranos on different things. One of the things you would ding them on is, there are some actors that weren't great on that show. This show, everybody's great, and that's where we get all of the other stuff. So what it, where does it stand for you?
2: Uh, yeah, it's it's way up there. If it sticks to the landing, I'm not sure I, I've seen a better television show. I said that it's a subject of much, much, much conversation on Twitter. I think for me, when I look at these shows, Sopranos is the most entertaining show across the board that I've ever seen. It, it's got it's very American sex jokes, rock and roll uh, of a show. It's going to make you laugh a little bit more. It's got murder. It's got the family dynamic. It checks all those boxes of just being entertained. Right. Sometimes the show is a laugh out loud funny. Sometimes it's poignant. Sometimes it's avant-garde. It's just very entertaining in that way. Um, the The Wire is just an achievement of television and the intricacy of storytelling that is very difficult to even like articulate in a way. It's like what they were able to do, and people talk about how it's a novelization of American life, it's incredibly ambitious, and then they nailed
0: it. This show... Well, we should mention you hosted a podcast that broke down every single episode of The Wire on The Ringer. Every, on The Ringer, way down in the hole, me and Jamel Hill. Um, this
2: show is just perfect. It's like it's a it's I like uh, if we're all sitting down and we're eating caviar, or we're drinking wine, and then there's some. And you drink wine, you go, "This wine is really good." And then somebody else comes to you, like a sommelier, and then they say, "But let me tell you why this wine is really good. Let me tell mm. you where this comes from, how this is made, like the craft that goes into it." Sometimes with things that are of that quality, you can't see that craft, and you have to be of a certain level of appreciation to be able to see it. With succession, you don't if you actually give in to the show, the pacing of the show, the acting of the show, the scene between Shiv and Tom in this last episode where the totality of their relationship has come down to one moment where there's this cutting vulnerability and she's looking around almost for help because she doesn't know how to deal with him being a human being and yeah. he is just crumbling in front of her. She's crying because he feels bad he's crying, he's breaking down because of the sheer weight of everything. That's just really difficult to replicate. I watched it back like four or five times and I can't really think of too many other places that do that without drifting into melodrama. So at the level that it cooks at, I'm just not sure that any show has cooked at that level before. I'm
0: just being for real. Or whether it's going to happen again. Charles, what do you say that the biggest... When I talk to people, like I'm asking if they watch a show, people that are smart people that love TV. And the reason that I get back if they're not watching or if they stopped watching is I don't like those characters. I don't want to spend time with those characters. I just didn't like them. So what's the response to that?
3: Those people are weak. They don't have like the heart, you know? Sometimes, here's the thing. Sometimes everybody isn't really, to Van's point, sophisticated enough for Caviar. No, but seriously, to your point, I think the thing that we have to be real about Succession is that I think that first season separated the men from the boys in terms of like, you really have to surrender yourself over to this show. Because that first episode, you see Roman when he rips up the the check for the kid. That is a moment where I've been talking to people. I think I was at a wedding. Like That's the moment where people are like, why am I watching this? Like. Right. I can't, I can't root for any of these people. But what I say to that is I'm like, I think the public has been watching Prestige TV wrong for decades at this point. Because I'm like, you're not supposed to root for Tony Soprano. You're not supposed to root for Walter White. We just end up doing it. And how many of these showrunners are always like, yeah, that was the big problem of the show. We're trying to create a show that's showing you how morally decayed a certain type of arch- archetype in the American consciousness is. And as Americans were like, but I want to root for Walter White. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. And yeah. I think that succession is the best example of like, these characters are not supposed to be characters that you want to root for. These are, it's showing us how ugly we have become.
0: Well, you know what? But that's the it, great it, thing it, about the show is when. Roman is such a scumbag this season. And, yeah, you know, when he breaks down the funeral, you feel bad for him. It's like, how does the show do that? You feel terrible. I was already out on Roman as a human being, but yet I, I feel empathy for him.
2: So my thing about that is I think some of those creators are being disingenuous when they're saying that about their shows. Like Walter White is a drug dealer. Yeah, he's. but you have to remember why he became that. Like all of these guys have motivations that are inherently relatable. Like, Tony Soprano is a father. He doubles as an animal lover in the show at times. And then, for as hard as he is on women, he essentially kills one of his capos because of, or at least has a huge beef with him, because of the way he treated a young girl and then an animal. So Tony, throughout The Sopranos, like, as much of a leech and a pariah as he is, he comes to the aid of people who are less powerful than him in ways that are uncommon. you know. And Walter White, until he finally breaks bad, is doing this kind of for his family, and he's sick, and all of these things kind of give the audience an out. Succession really doesn't do that. Like What, what it does is it says, hey, there's a part of these people that genuinely love each other, but we never really put it on front street. Like, we never do. I remember one time when it was time to kill Ken. And Roman goes, I don't really want to do that. He taught me how to pee pee in the toilet, you know. But other than that, they don't lean into the fact that these people are a family. It's kind of just a thing that's out there. Sure, they love their father, but you never really saw Logan like go to bat for them. In the way that Tony did for AJ, who is like one of the worst characters in the history of television, but that I relate more to every
0: single day or
2: for <laughs> yeah, Meadow, He's, he's oh, always the big
0: winner of the rewatches is the AJ. He, he is it's like, it's like, like, oh, man, I
2: just, AJ was a good character. Yeah, he was. I relate more to every day. But in this show, it's kind of like there's an underpinning of family and connection with these people. But more than anything. They just human beings that are products of their situation, and that's how we are to me, more than anyone. Like if you sat down with the guy, hey, you might like him, but if you watch him on TV, you're like, fuck this guy. So like, I I think the sh- the fact that the show doesn't bail you out and they're still able to make you drift in and out of human moments with them, because you're talking about Roman at the funeral. Remember when Roman broke and almost fu- and, and like and went at Matson on the mountaintop? I related. Yeah. It's like I like I related. I'm like. Yeah, it's all about business, but fuck you, dude. Like, I'm right. grieving. Yeah.
0: You know, we talked about this on the last Prestige pod we did, me and Sean and Joanna, about the, the greatest shows take you so beyond the characters to where, how did they end up this way? Seems to be a theme over and over again, right? And The Wire did that the best with season four. Yes. Right? They, they literally went to the, to the bare bones of this is how this, is how this starts. Breaking bad, same thing. You watch this guy just kind of unravel. Sopranos, they spend so much time with the backstory of how his family affected him that, you know, after a couple of seasons, like, I get it. I get why this guy's so fucked up. Yeah. And succession, um, they not only do they do this great, but they still do a good like one of the weird things that happens in the four seasons is Ewan has a chance to shank his his brother, right? When they're doing the board vote. And you see in the funeral speech in season four, he fucking hates his brother, right? He thinks his brother's actually like evil and responsible for a lot of carnage and bad things and destruction in society. But what does he do in that board meeting? He doesn't want to cross him, and he still feels this weird sense of loyalty to him because they're related. And this show balances that loyalty. I want to destroy you, but uh, we're also related. And it's just juggling so many things. I don't, I don't really know how I want it to end I just want to make sure that it's not going to end badly. But I really Charles, I trust these guys. I f- I feel like they have figured this show out. They figured out the arc. They know how they want it to end. And I-, I feel like I'm in safe hands, right? Oh, I feel like we're in safe hands, but I want to ask
3: both you and Van this. It feels as if the show, this season as well, has been reorienting us to be like, this has always been Kendall's show, where Even last episode, I was like, all right, this is the Godfather. And it seems like we kind of all know where this is going. Yeah. I feel like I'm in safe hands. But would you guys feel that it's a letdown if it does end how it probably will with Kendall succeeding his father, finally getting everything he wanted, but he's like presiding over a kingdom that is burnt down. He's betrayed everyone.
0: He's Godfather and a Godfather too.
3: Yeah. Would that be He won, but what did he win? Would that be too expected? Would you be let down if there's not a big twist? I personally wouldn't be.
0: Yeah, I don't know. They've, they've, they have spent a lot of time rebuilding the Kendall Ark and at the same time, he does have a pretty bad skeleton that yeah. we haven't heard from really in, really since the uh, second to last episode or the last episode of last season when he tells Shiv and Roman, hey, FYI, I killed a waiter. <laughs> this is one of their yeah. stuff fucked up. This guy died. So a lot enough people know that that I wonder how clean this is going to be for kind And just FYI to the people listening, none of us have seen screeners. We have no idea what's going to happen.
2: By the way, that episode is the Pine Barrens episode of Succession to me. You know how like we we the Russians, so we just. I mean, we're never going to talk about that again. You know what I mean? It, it, you, you know what I mean? I, mean, I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we're, we're never, that's just that happened, and so Ken, it's never that's not going to be a part of any of the that's not gonna come back to where someone goes, oh, it's in this file, and Logan was keeping a kill list on all of, you know what I mean? Or like whatever is gone. But i I'll say something about what you said earlier about the brother. Uh Ewan, I, I thought that scene, the funeral scene in uh you know, Logan's funeral was one of the most relatable scenes in all of Succession, maybe the most relatable. Because like that is something that I've seen before. The funeral where somebody gets up and they go, let me tell you really about this motherfucker in this box right here. Let me tell you who this person really was. And then somebody else goes, yeah, all of that's true, but remember this? Remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? And blah, blah, blah. And I think the interesting thing about listening to him is it perfectly encapsulates what the show is about because I think he did love Logan. Yeah. And I think he pitied him I think mm. when when he's when he when he's talking to people, right, and he's going, he's going, listen. So I'll let you know. There's a reason why he is the way that he was. I cannot run because he doesn't come till that towards the end. He says, "Listen, I want to let you know. We came over here. It was hard. They blamed him for the death of his sister. So the guy that can't connect with people, there's a reason why. But let me be honest with you and tell you who this person was. He even says, "I, I, I guess I loved him." He did love them because he understood why he was fucked up. And even in the show, Ken and Shiv are grieving together. He now knows that she's been going behind his back. This is just the world they live in. And to be honest with you, kind of the world we all live in, but it seems like sometimes, and The Wire did this, the other shows, The Wire did this, sometimes shows shy away from the fact that we do the shittiest things. Um, to the people who know us the best You know what yeah. I mean But The the Wire was an expert show At doing this because at the end You know fucking Avon uh, the, the Stringer sold out Avon and Avon sh- sold out Stringer Kind of the same shit you know Oh I mean to your point you brought up Shiv
3: Earlier The saddest thing like the tragedy The common tragedy of last episode Is that Shiv is describing the love of her Father like when he loves you It's like the sun setting on you Like, it's like the sun. And who's not there? Tom isn't there to hear that. Because I'm like, that's exactly how you treat Tom. And what does she do later in the episode? Tom's face when she's like kind to him for the first time this entire season. Like, oh, you need to go like sleep. Like you can come back to our apartment. And he's like looking at her like, finally, you've given me like this small morsel of affection. It's so funny how I'm just like, oh, no, he is. He is the shiv in this Logan relationship. Whereas, like, this is why he keeps coming back to Shiv. Even after every episode, I'm like, dude, like, fucking run, bro. Like, and that's the genius of this series where you can see how Shiv becomes who she is. And then you can see how that ripples across every single relationship that any
0: of these kids touch. And then but you really, have Mondale, really, the, Mondale the dog, who's just Mondale not getting any attention dog. from either <laughs> of them.
2: Uh, really, and I know we got to get to the draft, but I think the most interesting thing about the Roy kids, and you know, obviously Khan is on the outside of that. Khan is who I would be. That's who I would be, bro. Khan's the real I, like, winner Khan, this season. I don't like, care what like anybody Khan's, says. Khan would be like Khan got. He almost took young, Kentucky. Like, yeah, he almost <laughs> took Kentucky, man. Khan, Khan, so who I close. Would be. <laughs> but when you look at the Roy kids, it's like Logan split them into three. Mm. None of them is a whole person. Mm. They're all shards of who Logan was. They're all like different parts of his personality that with that, like, so
0: shit. They're all kind has, of the worst parts of his personality, by the way.
2: Like the worst parts of who he it's is. It's like all his
0: weaknesses.
2: Are all. And, and, and they kind of represent like none of them is like full because he never really showed them the full gamut of a father. Shiv is Shiv started off trying to be anti-Logan, to be the bleeding heart going into like whatever. Yeah. Ken was trying to be a clone of him. And Roman is his biting sense of sardonic humor. You know what I mean? So it's like it's 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 all different. And and I think the winner to me will of the children will be someone who gets some wholeness. At the end of it, and I don't know that any of them will.
0: Charles, does Van call his fans the Van Heads or no? The Van Heads? I don't know. Wait. Yeah. When you guys argue in the Ringerverse. Does he say the Van Heads? The Van he Heads not. know what I'm talking about.
3: The contingent here, the Van contingent is very strong, though. They be they be in my mentions a lot. So I need a good the, van uh, the van Vanaholics. Wait, let's
0: just name them. Um, the- before we do the character draft, which I'm super excited about, and I spent more time agonizing about. I just made a list and I was like, oh shit, we're going to actually have to pick people from this. Give me one prediction for the season for now, Charles. Ooh, one prediction. Just one prediction. Doesn't have to be how it's going to end. Just one prediction. So I I don't know if I
3: heard this on Prestige or like I read it on Twitter somewhere, but like I've been thinking about this a while. The saddest part of this will be like Kendall potentially being reunited with his kids. And he like turns to him, and it's like a fuck off. Or he does something that's so Logan, and you're just like, that's actually the moment where you're sad. Like he wins everything, and like if it's his kids like playing outside of his office or something happens, and he does a Loganism, I think that might be like the last shot or the moment Mm. where like, oh, he's he's fully become the killer that his father needed him to be,
0: but at what cost? Mm. He he gained the strength from the mausoleum. He <laughs> stared at it. That, he gave that that long extra camera shot of the mausoleum, and he just gained the evil strength from it. What's your one prediction, Ben? There will be a time jump. Really? Wow.
2: Okay. What?
3: I don't yeah, know. I this think
2: actually doesn't do time jumps. I think at some. I think that maybe we see Tom and Shiv with like a two-year-old kid. Or something. I have a, I don't know why. I have a feeling because remember, we don't, the, the status of Minken and whether or not he actually becomes president is up in the air and it's going to be, it's going to take some months. They're acting like he's the president. They're calling him Mr. President, but there's really, there's no authority to it right now. So at some point there's going to be in, within the narrative of the show, a time jump that either shows us Shivan Tom's kid or shows us Mencken being sworn in as uh, President of the United States or maybe Jimenez being sh-
0: sworn in as President of the United States. So that was my prediction. Oh, really? I think really? Mencken... No, just not the time jump. I think Mencken loses. Oh. I think the twist in the last episode and a couple of people pointed this out to me in my life. And I was mad I didn't see it after watching episode nine three times and somehow missed this. They were very careful to, to make it clear that he hadn't actually won yet. And if he wins, there was like some if stuff with it. And it's actually a better dramatic device if in this last episode, it turns out he actually, and they spent all this political capital trying to win him over and now he's not gonna win. And, and then, then does, that does that torch
3: ATN's reputation? So like Kendall is essentially like the king of like something that has no worth. The stock is crashing, and it's like
0: the Matson deal falls. ATN's reputation is demolished, and the yeah. kids basically take over this skeleton corpse. I thought that was well, a good theory. I li- I liked it. I like it too. But if the if ATN
2: falls, won't Matson still want it? Mattson wants ATN, but he said he said before in another episode. I mean, I think that's a fantastic theory. I'm not poking holes in it. I'm just saying, if ATN becomes even easier for him to get, remember his numbers are bad. So the price being lower is help for him. He said, "Bad brand, good parts, because there's still parks and movies and all of that other stuff that Gojo might want." Yeah, he's but my ATN, might Not ATN,
0: if Jimenez a- just squashes it well
2: yeah okay and we also we still nothing
3: has happened with the blood and the public the pr professional and all that shit that's still in the ecosystem Mm. that might be something that kendall has in his back pocket to like Mm. finally torch mattson and shiv yeah like
0: there's still a lot in the ecosystem you know i can't wait to see what happens all right let's take a break and then we're gonna do uh we're gonna do the big draft Do we give Charles the first pick since yeah, since Van, you've been on this podcast more than he has? I think we should. Charles, we're going to give you the first pick. I'll give Van, I'll give you the choice, Van. You could be second or you could be the third pick, which means then you're you're batting fourth too because we'll go snake fashion. I right, want so you to you're gonna go third. So we have yeah. two in a row.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: All right. So we are drafting best character, right?
0: So let's, let's talk about what this means. Are we saying it's best <laughs> character? Are we saying favorite character? Are we saying combination of both? Are we saying these are the characters that will be the indelible for the rest of my life? I will think this was the best character on the show and then then it drops in severity after like let's say if we did this for the wire, who would have been the first pick? Avon for me. See here's the Avon. thing. Stri- dra- it would be Stringer Bell yeah. for me, to be
2: honest. Oh, Avon, A- A- Avon, Avon Barksdale is the number one gangster in the history of, like, to me, Avon is the man. I would, I would have drafted Avon first. But I'll say this: I'm drafting. So my see, I would have drafted
0: Stringer. I mean, Charles and I would have been fighting for Stringer.
2: Interesting. I I would have drafted Avon first. Oh, it's it's funny that nobody would have drafted any of the BPD first, but. Uh, I would have drafted Avon first, but I'm drafting my. Fa- <laughs> I'm drafting my favorite. Your favorite. Area.
0: All right. So what? So I'm we'll not do, trying to
2: win the draft.
0: Yeah. We're we're doing favorite characters, and then we'll see who has what team at the end. All right, Charles. All right, favorite. You you You're the first pick. All right. So this is.
3: Yeah, I gotta just do it. I think that this actor has the chance to be the greatest actor of this generation. Mm. I think this character is the most accurate and probably important character in terms of like a reflection of what America is in 2023, I have to take Kendall. Like, I have to just Yeah, he's the man. You know, it's what Jeremy Strong has done through the course of these seasons is something where I don't know if you guys agree, I don't think Jeremy Strong had the chops in that first season to really be
0: a leading man. Like It took him, I, it took him half the season I feel like to get we talked about this on Prestige. It, it you, When you do the rewatch, he doesn't really settle in. I don't really feel like any of them really do until like midway through that season. But that makes sense, right? They're learning these yeah. characters. But to I'm see where, to watch
3: those first couple episodes and compare them to like where Kendall is now, uh, I was watching This Is Not For Tears and just seeing just the jump that he has made as a performer. I think Kendall is one of my favorite TV characters just of all time. Uh I have to go Kendall
0: first. Van, would you where would you put that in greatest HBO acting performances? If Gandolfini's Ooh. won.
2: Gandolfini's I don't think he's supplanting won. Gandolfini. won. And I don't won. think he's
0: supplanting of I think Adabisi's oh, probably two. Oh.
2: Even b Adebisi- c Having the hat stay on his head for the whole time of Oz itself <laughs> deserved three em- Emmys. I don't understand how the little hat <laughs> stayed on his head the whole time. Uh, so Gandolfini's way up there. Edie Falco's way up there. I mean, to 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 be honest with you, Edie Falco is way up there. Um,
0: He's on uh, whatever the yeah. HBO shortlist is. I think Kendall. Whatever the I HBO think shortlist
2: is up there, uh, Peter Dinklage, all of those people up there in those situations. Bill, did you watch Thrones? You watch Thrones.
0: I love Thrones. I'm less upset about the last season than other people. Because now people are like, no, (laughs) fuck Thrones. The finale sucked. I'm like, Thrones, I enjoyed it the whole time. I'm sorry that it didn't win the title in its last season. Then it just made the second round. (laughs) I'm sorry it was the KD Booker Sons. (laughs) Right. Still a good show. But I feel the same way. Why are season five I've gotten in arguments about? Wire season five was good. There was one plot that didn't work, but if you go back and you watch the season finale, the series finale, it's one of the fucking best series finales ever. I I I watched it last week.
3: It It, like it. It might be the best. I was just like, it's
0: fucking amazing. It gets no credit. (laughs) It's not in the discourse at all. It's like, oh, the journalism plot sucked, and that's like the season five take. Yeah, the the wire the wire season finale, uh, the wire
2: season five is not well loved, but I like it. I mean, I I like it. You know, the serial killer plot was a little wonky, but whatever. But I think Jeremy I think Jeremy Strong was way up here. Way right way up there in HBO uh active performance. But I think the the whole cast is, if I'm being honest. Like this could be a situation where the whole cast makes appearances on that list. So man, I'm I'm not sure.
0: All right. I'm b I'm up second. This is really hard. There's some good people left on my board. I'm going to go with Roman and I'm going to explain why. Damn, Roman! I think that was we, definitely, I was definitely choosing him. So, Second pick? If we did advanced metrics on this show and who just got off the best lines, Um, I would close. say Roman has maybe 50% of the best lines in the show, so we'll start there. Second, he took this character. It was like, oh, it's the spoiled rich brat. He's going to be the call the Macaulay Culkin brother. I see who this guy is. And then by near as as the first season's starting to hum, especially when we get to the Prague episode, and Roman just goes to another level. It's like, oh, we're doing this. Then the Jerry stuff. It's like, oh my god, we're we're moving now. And then we get to season three. And he's starting to get a little footy more. And it's like, this guy might have a chance. Jerry's helping him. He's empathetic with Kendall. Maybe he'll be the better brother. And then season four, what a roller coaster ride where every time it feels like he has it in his grasp. He's just, he's too impulsive. He's going to fuck it up. I thought some of the acting that Karen Culkin did, especially this season, um, is as good as anything that's been on the show and on HBO. And the funeral scene... Um, specifically but I, I think that character is incredible so I'm I'm happy to have him on my team. Welcome aboard Roman. I can't believe I was you gonna, have somebody I was
3: so gonna, toxic. He is a cancer to any team. It's a, listen, it's a TV Roman. show. It's a character. I was going to draft
2: him. I was going to draft Roman and if not just for of all the times that I've laughed <laughs> the scene I, I I'm sorry y'all y'all can't tell me anything I was Kalika thought I was losing it the scene where he sends the dick pic to Logan. <laughs> and he and makes a co- face. That, that is the funniest fucking shit, dog. That is the... That is the when he comes back, from. That is the funniest fucking shit, dog. Like, I was... I like, he's, he's like, Roman,
0: are you some kind of sicko? <laughs> he does, like, the spit, the freeze frame take. He... The stuff he does physically <laughs> with his body in some of these scenes um I cuz I don't know how big he is. I don't think he's maybe taller than 5'6, five, 5'7, five, but nah, he can he's do a all little these guy. different things with his shoulders. Yeah. Um all right, Roman, second. Yeah. Van, you got two. What are you doing? I got to go with Logan.
2: So, I was going to go with Roman, uh but I got to go to Lo- with, with Logan. Uh a a a guy of my age has seen a lot. Um uh, from uh, Cox and, and and I saw him he played Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter uh, he was in Rushmore he's been around you've seen him yeah. a lot you always knew that he was great like a great stage actor uh, great stage actor you always knew he was a badass but the whole show the ethos of the show the the driving force of the show the, the world that we're in is sort of created by Roman Royce it's not Roman Roy's by uh, Logan Roy's personality, in much of the same way. Remember, we were on the rewatchables. I talked about how the MCU, the world itself, is yeah. is uh, Tony Stark's portrayal, as is, is Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark, like that character. That's kind of the same thing with this world in in succession. It's all Logan. Everything is dripping with Logan. They're either running from Logan or running towards him. So I. I definitely think that he, he would be somebody I mean, you have to pick him. He's left on the board. You gotta pick him, right? You gotta pick him. He's the guy you got From
0: him. force of nature TV characters, it's him and Soprano. Yeah. I'm trying to think, yeah. is there anybody else on that level? So really. I mean I, need,
3: we, I want to ask this though with Logan. I know like everybody has been saying, all the critics, you know, have been saying this show could go on forever. Is that true without Logan now? Because like after like Logan has left this series, I'm like, no, this is actually the perfect place to end it. I don't know if you could have done another season without that
0: gravitational pull. Hmm. It would have been tough because you end up like a lot of great TV shows over the years where they just hung on that extra year and it was just such a bad idea. I, to me, it's like the, the, what's sitting there is the movie where you get through this, maybe five years from now, you make just an incredible movie with a lot of these same pieces and we catch up with these people five years later. I, th- I think it'd be too hard. I personally think it'd be too hard to do another season. What do you think, Ben?
2: Um, yeah, I think the the episodes that we're getting now are, are really good, but they're really good because Logan kind of, the funeral did a good job of saying goodbye to him. But Logan kind of isn't dead until somebody takes his place. Yeah, yeah. And then the the question then will become, all right, is the person that takes his place, is there enough loganiness to to move on? And I'm not
0: sure that there is. I think that's a fair point that Charles is making. One of the reasons this draft is so much fun is like two of our top three picks were just horrible, horrible human beings, <laughs> Roman <roaming it. Yeah>, and <laughs> Logan. but. They're incredible TV characters, right? And that's the whole point yeah. of this is how can you write a character? How can how can you find the right actor who could just capture every single piece of it and make you feel empathy for them even though they're bad people? Um, I right. can't wait to see who you take for. I, I know who I'm rooting for you not to take with the fourth pick. Van, who do you got? So here's the deal.
2: I know who I should take. It's easy. I don't think it's easy, but I'm not. But I'm not going to take that person. The person that I'm going to take is a 2018 starter <laughs> on Team All White Girl. I know what he's doing. <laughs> I'm taking Shiv Roy. No, uh, no. Hey, we're talking about Bruh. Okay, Charles. Charles, am I allowed to be myself? Okay, I'll, no, I'll be somebody else for Charles. I'll be someone else. <laughs> I'll be somebody else for Charles right here. I'll be somebody. No, you already said it. Big I won't be pick me. Big the, no, the person, no, the no, first no, person Big no, was going to lose. Like, I'm just going to be honest. It, it's not. But see, here's the thing. This is the difference between you and I as generational. It's not about winning or losing. It's about fulfillment. Everything okay? about
3: is about winning and losing.
2: It's not. And what I'm telling you right now is I'm picking Shiv Roy. Shiv Roy burst onto the scene for lots of reasons. Okay, and I, <laughs> I I like the portrayal of Shiv. I think that the portrayal of Shiv is is fantastic. Sarah Snook does a great job. Okay, a lot of people have been critical of her, you know, recently. A lot of people have, but I remember
0: what people have been critical of her recently. Lives. What what's going on?
2: Oh my god, they are writing Shiv <laughs> like mother. They, they, I, sometimes <laughs> is this in the that, in the, that, the Twitter that, streets? <laughs> Bruh, that election night, it, that election night, uh that election night episode was tough on Shiv, man. Like, it, bruh, like it literally was tough on Shiv. They were writing Shiv like she was Polly Walnuts. I'm serious. Like they, they they were. Like, she was being outdueled at every single corner. It's quarter. pretty rough. The
0: fake phone call it was, was pretty rough.
2: That's among the dumbest so moments bad. in the show. You got yeah, you got knifed by cousin Greg? Like, come on, man. Yeah. Come on. But look, but but can I tell you something about Shiv Roy? Besides, you know, what Sarah Snook hath, hath given us? <laughs> the reality <laughs> is, is that... Just say it. No, stop. Just, We're on uh, Bill's podcast. Say this is because of, you know, the badunk. She's fine. Just be real. She's fine. She's fine. And she's been fine. But, like, but <laughs> let me be real with it. Let me be real about it a, a second. Shiv, in her in, in terms of her character, has had one of the more significant arcs in succession. She started off on the outside to a degree, of the the Roy family structure, Um, she was drawn back into it with her father, uh, by her father, should I say, and almost was lured into reinserting herself into a lot of things that it seemed like she didn't have very much interest in. And to watch her now have to deal with all of this stuff, but at the same time earn the respect of her brother's Earn the respect of Matson when she had to deal with, uh, with making the last episode, and he says, you hate me? She goes, the way I feel is irrelevant. That's her trying to be in that same mold, and I think that's very interesting to do. Then, knowing that right after that, we were going to see that character, brilliantly played by Sarah Snook, break down and be between half tears and half bewilderment at Tom's vulnerability. I love shit. For the reasons that I first loved her and for the reasons that, that the character, uh, for the way that the character performs, uh, nah, I love shit.
0: I really do. So Charles, I'm sitting there with the second pick in the draft and there are two people I liked equally and I tried to guess what Van was going to do <laughs> and I knew if I didn't take Roman, Van was taking him <laughs> and I knew Van was going to take Logan if I didn't take Roman but I didn't want to take Roman I want to take Tom cause I fucking love Tom and we'll go into that in a second. But I knew Van was going to take Shiv with one of those two picks. <laughs> it was like being in the draft with, in the NBA draft with somebody who's the GM is right after them. It's like, Oh, that guy loves dunkers. He just fucking loves people who are up in the air, just slamming home alley oops. He's going to take the Thompson twin. I don't have to take the Thompson twins now. Right, I'll, I'll take the guy I want Cause I know he's going to take them. Um, Anyway, I'm delighted to have Tom, who you could say pound (laughs) for pound, the best character on this show. Uh, Arguably the funniest character on this show, other than Roman. Great arc, fantastic actor. I think the actor with the best chance to come out of this show and have a pretty big career, like I guarantee he's going to be the villain in some diehard type movie or he'll be in the Marvel Universe or something. I think like bigger things are coming for him. A Bond villain. We think could be a Bond villain. Ooh, we would be a really, really
3: good Bond villain. If yeah. there's a
0: spinoff show, I think he could be the better call solve the the spinoff show. Uh, so, A, delighted to have Tom. I think he's been incredible start to finish. I love Tom. B, Shiv was way lower on my board than I think you guys would be prepared for. I thought whoever
3: picked Shiv would be, like, the big loser. Like, yeah, I, like, shout out to Joanna. I love you, like, jo- the greatest to ever do it but Shiv is like the character if you were going to ding Succession that I feel like they have had the hardest job writing and figuring out what she is to this show like every other season it's like it's a different character
0: and we've argued about that it's it's especially the beginning of season two when the dad's clearly playing her and she can't see it it's I've had a hard time establishing like how savvy is she yeah. you see her like rubbing but, shoulders but you know with like Matson or whoever and it's like oh she's great And then she can just get outwitted in, like, two seconds. Can I be real with you? I feel like people say that,
2: but Logan did that to all of them. He literally, what, what, what we just described of him doing to Shiv, like, he did that to all of them. He had Roman on a string, an emotional string. Couldn't stop texting him. He literally has Ken by the balls. Like Ken tried to take out Logan and he failed, so a lot of people I think that that criticism of Shiv, I think she's maybe written to make people wonder if they're being unfair to her because that criticism of Shiv Logan did that to everybody, every every one of his kids he lobotomized them. Khan too he destroyed Khan's whole life. Khan has the best life, but in terms of in terms of. What the way we view it as a Roy life con isn't even like capable of having ambition beyond things that are kind of nonsensical. So I feel like that's a little unfair when they say that about her. You don't think so? No. Cause I just think
3: she at the beginning of season one, obviously is the moral center, but she's not a complete idiot. Like she's just not. And the show has like wavered on how smart and capable she is. Couldn't agree the- more. To the point where I'm just like, even the one like womp womp I had about last week's episode, which I thought was nearly perfect, is I'm like, is, is ship really like someone we think can kneecap Kendall at this point? Like to me, it's like, that's like food for Kendall. Like yeah. the, the show has done anything. It's shown us even though Kendall has failed, he is the killer. Like at the end when he's like, goes to the press conference and logan is looking at his son knifing him in the back on live tv we see that smirk to this point he is the only kid in my estimation who has been able to do that and as much as shiv acts like no i have it in me i have it in me i'm like not really Shiv. like not nah, i don't know it, it's the fact By that the way- let bill get tom is like you fucked up yeah. the whole process. Man. I, man, let Bill, I let Bill. I let Bill just, just got fired by
0: I, by the Houston Texans owner, <laughs> well, for, well, the Phoenix first of, Suns first owner, of all, whoever.
2: Once again, once again, y'all have to remember, I'm conning this, <laughs> so I don't care what you guys say. <laughs> like you guys, you guys are all in the rat race. I'm in New Mexico with the Craigslist <laughs> so like I'm not, I'm not tripping on whatever happens. I get. in Kentucky I'm really popular in Alaska I'm not I'm not I don't want to be a part Of the rat race
0: (laughs) by the way I have Uh, I have a couple People in my life who Think Sarah Snooks a little overrated as An actress that I've gotten in arguments with they said well, she only has, like she four moves.
3: God damn. All right, we're they not going to go Jillian that. They said she like four oh, moves. No, she had. I, I don't like, agree with that at all. They can't started
0: imitating. They started imitating her, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's actually hitting close no to home." Way. They did the no stuttering way. thing. I, now, they did the eye bulge uh, thing, and I, and they were like, "If she was a center, she'd have a jump hook and a drop step, and that's it." And I was like, <laughs> no. "No, she'd have a well." It really hurt This is really she'd
2: have a jump. She she'd have a jump step, and a jump hook, and a drop step that never fucking misses. Okay, it I also think she's got a fifteen
0: in. footer. Like, I I don't know. I I, I just, think she's I got a fifteen it. footer. Yeah, uh,
2: you know, I, I you know, I I really think I don't think there are any acting weak links in the entire. That's show That's how I feel. I really don't think. I so. mean, okay. if I'm if this is going to be my hottest take of like the whole
3: thing, if I'm saying we are, if I'm going to be real, I think if there's one actor that we are like being a little hyperbolic about, come on, like kieran this season like he's cooking don't get me wrong oh. But people are acting like kieran is like clearly like number one I'm are like, you no. fucking nuts
0: no kendall's are you f- kendall's, like, the, I, are you? I, kendall's I the best. don't actor. like the bruh, mo- i bruh. don't
3: like the mountain scene as much as everybody else does like that would not be on my emmy reel oh
0: boy
2: i'm not about to turn this into midnight boys <laughs> I, i'm really not about to do that i'm not about to turn this into midnight boys but this is all time <laughs> coke level shit What are talking about right i didn't say he's bad like, the, the, i'm just saying like you just bro he's not you're, you're he's you're zagging you're zagging for the sake of his i'm not zagging there, i do no not i do not
3: like the mountain scene the minute i saw it i'm just wow. like this is like wow. you know logan's not here Whoa. anymore i'm submitting like this is my chance at the emmys type shit where i'm like
0: yeah. <laughs> this is nuts
3: I'm I, feel like so De- I feel like
0: De Niro at the end of Cape Fear when like half his face is burned off. <laughs> <laughs> that tape was so hot, I lost, I lost like my hair. <laughs> well, you have two picks. You got to worry about your next two picks. Oh, I already know where yeah. I'm going. Cause you got Bill, six and seven. What do you got?
3: You have a little bit too, mom- too much momentum going with Tom. So the first... I have Tom choosing... and Roman right now. I feel fantastic. So I'm going for the real white woman MVP of Succession. The person that my uh, girlfriend gets very mad because every single time she graces the screen, I'm like, she's so beautiful. I think that this is like every single time she's on screen, is just electric. I have to go with Jerry. Like, Jerry is... Interesting. Just... She's next on my board. Like, I... Wait. Van is acting like Jerry isn't
0: the shit, like what do you, what do you have against Jerry? I fucking love Jerry, and Jerry's, Jerry's not great. even in the pilot, by the way. didn't show up till episode two, and they, and she they kind of sneak her in, and then all of a sudden she becomes essential. And I I feel like in a lot of ways she's almost the moral compass of the show. You don't agree, Van?
2: I feel like Jerry is like the Marcus Smart of the show.
0: Is that good or bad? You know, it, we're, <laughs> we're how dare this, you, is, man? Is,
2: it's kind of like is is both right. It's like it's like people that love Marcus Smart love him. He's the entire team. I wouldn't trade Marcus Smart for Dennis Johnson, Kevin McHale, and a yeah. future Bill Russell and Pete. And for other people, it's like he takes charges. He's straight. I like him. You know, what I like you know what I mean. But I feel like Jerry is kind of like is. Is that there's a whole Jerry hive, and because there's such a strong Jerry hive, we can sometimes overvalue Jerry. Jerry is cool, but what has really Jerry done to deserve? All right, first of all, I mean, Jerry got, and Roman, got, Jerry and Roman are
3: responsible for probably five out of the top ten funniest moments in this. But entire that's series.
2: Roman. But to me, that's Roman making that happen.
3: No, that's Jerry really? just as much. Like, no, 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 no. You're not giving that no, all to Roman. That's Jerry just as much. This is
0: Jerry's great. great. Wait, can I go on that Marcus Smart thing for a second? Because I really like where you went there. Glue guy. Great. Fills in, checks a lot of boxes. Really good defender. Can guard all types of people. But if I look at the box score and he had like 19 shots, we probably didn't win. (laughs) Right. And that's like Jerry's like, if she's involved, great. But I don't. I'm with Charles. I don't know if she could carry an episode. But I, I, I think. Uh, I think great value here. I support great the pick. He, I, okay. She was next on my board. Who Who else do you have, Charles? Who's the next? So one? I have
3: another pick, and it's just like I was not going to draft this person this high, but I feel like it's the type of person that if you get if either of you get him on the board, it's like there's going to be a contingent. So. I have to go with the other half of the Disgusting Brothers. I think Cousin Greg is quite possibly one of the funniest creations that humanity has ever seen. And the there's so much in, in that election episode that has been talked about. But what we have not talked about enough is the moment that Cousin Greg sniffs out that Shiv just doesn't have it. He tells Kendall, and he walks away, and you see his face. He smiles. He smiles. I, he smiles. Yeah. I <laughs> cracked. I like it was the funniest thing I've ever yeah. seen. It was just like, oh my gosh! Like I
0: do. You guys it, agree with my theory? He might be the he might be the winner in the end. Like when we say we have a US CEO, it actually could be because of Greg. I'm so oh, worried about. Are
2: Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Bill. Are you saying that some people think that Greg might win? I hadn't heard that. So ways. a lot of people are saying this if you go <laughs> back and you playing. everybody's fucking saying that
0: <laughs> no if you go back and you watch the pilot yeah. if you go back and you watch the pilot it's really about Kendall and Greg and Logan but really Kendall it's about Kendall trying to get Logan's seat and it's about Greg kind of working his way into the family and he's way more involved in the pilot than I think people remember and I'm just yeah. thinking like this British guy Jesse Armstrong writing it who you know, seems like he, he's not opposed to taking some shots at America from time to time. I, I, I just wonder in his head, would this be a hilarious ending to him that Greg's the one that ends up winning this? Like this idiot cousin that nope. we've watched for four years.
2: You know, it's funny. I don't want to give away everything I just I, I said when I was just with Tate. But Bill, I'm sure you haven't seen and will never see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. <laughs> but if you, if, you, if you see Gardens of the Galaxy. Is that a freeform a- movie? What is that?
0: <laughs> what channel is that on?
2: <laughs> okay. If you see Gardens of the Galaxy 3, very emotional, amazing film. It turns out that the story was rocket story the whole time. Mm. And there is something about Greg, where well, Greg could actually be the rocket raccoon of succession. It could turn out that this is actually not about how all of these kids uh, supplant or replace or, uh, or succeed their father, that it's really about how Logan's grand-nephew actually becomes the head of a once-great-American company. And if that ends up being it,
0: I mean they're kind of telegraphing It's a pretty good ending. Charles, it's That's Survivor. It's like indie. when it's like when that person who doesn't win any Survivor challenges somehow is in the final three in Survivor and they win and everybody else is bad. Like, Couldn't even, could even fucking swim. How do you how did you win
3: Survivor? Uh, if cousin be Greg great. becomes the, the winner, I take back it. oh Vanessa <laughs> Yeah, here's the reason why to me, like I've said this on Twitter, I don't think it can happen. Only two years have sur- like have elapsed inside the Succession universe. Like, Greg was throwing up in a dog costume like a year and a half ago. For him to (laughs) be a glorified intern and then be the CEO within two years, I'm like, bro, like, I can take a lot of shit, but they're literally looking at Shiv. Every single time, people are like, why can't Shiv be the CEO? It's like, because she was a fucking bleeding heart liberal. What the fuck does she know about running a company? If they do that with Greg, I'm like, all right, come on.
0: Come on, what we well, like liberal.
3: What are we doing here? All
0: right, Bob so I you have a you took Greg and Jerry. Yeah, so I have so Kendall. So right now the teams Jerry are Charles has Kendall, Jerry, Greg. Van oh. has Logan and Shiv. And I have Tom, and I have Roman, and now I have Connor Roy. Wow, Connor. Wow. I, I'm also I'm also one of the Conheads I have the wow, funniest, Bill. funniest team out of the three of us.
2: <laughs> Excuse Bill, me, Bill. You know what you're doing in this entire draft, bro? You're fucking with me, bro. <laughs> you're
0: fucking with you me. You could have picked two. Know, you chose the third pick. You
2: know damn well, bro, that that was my wow, Bill. Okay, you, it should it should have been Connor before shit. This is your fault.
0: This is. I'll your tell fault. you one that one reason why I love Connor. The shows that I've loved over the years. Always feel like they have to shoehorn in more scenes and more PT and more shots for these supporting characters, right? The usage rate will go up in certain in certain episodes or whatever. Like I used to love Nine Hundred Two and Zero. They would always try to shoehorn in Steve Sanders into plots and stuff. It's like he just put him over there. He's a dude with a blonde afro. Like he's just he's comic relief. That's it. We don't need Steve Sanders plots. And Conor Roy. <laughs> They figured it out. Like he'll he'll come in. He'll right. he'll have some episodes. He's in only three scenes, but every single moment he fucking kills and he's super funny. And I've just really enjoyed my experience with Connor Ray. So that's my pick. Van, you have two.
2: Okay. Well, that was a shock to my system because I didn't think that anybody would pick Connor. I thought I, I thought Khan would be there for me. Um, draft not going like I thought it would. Okay. So uh, so in this case, I have to pick Matson have to. Matson, have to you know, try not to react with like it, it, surprise and disgust with every pick I make. It's just
3: you you're know, you're embarrassing it, it, the Midnight Boys with this. Matson,
0: right right now wow. they're cutting the Van's war room and people are just like tepidly applauding <laughs> while like wondering if they're gonna have a job tomorrow.
2: Matson would have been there, bro. So I'm I'm looking around at the at the rest of these characters and I'm not sure left on the board who you guys really feel like there is was a drop off? Choose.
0: No, there's a drop that off. We're in supporters now. Madsen.
2: Going to Matson right away is just a little. I no, I think Matson's a great character to choose here. You number one, I think Succession throughout the history of the show has been a show that hasn't really had an enemy. You know, a lot yeah. of these other shows they rotate in enemies. There's a Gus Fring. Uh, there's a cartel. There's uh, a Philly Atardo, um, John Lithgow,
0: there's, and Dexter.
2: Yeah, there's, nobody watched uh, Dexter. Huckin', I watched it. There's um, uh, uh, uh Marlowe, Stanfield, whoever. Right. There's always a villain. And Succession never had that. Succession never needed that because really that was the space that Logan kind of filled in the show. He was mm. equal parts villain, sort of protagonist, center of the world in a way. Logan's absence. And his impending absence, you had to have Matson. And the character is perfectly played. Arrogant, genius, uh there's a weird. quality about him. Weird. Yeah, he's like doesn't seem like a person. Seems like a all consuming tech bro cultural entity. And the fact that he doesn't seem real is like such a biting uh criticism. On the tech bros, the sort of tech giants as Robert yeah. Barons in this new gilded age that we're in. I think he's a great character. So I'm picking Matson.
1: I, 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 like I, really...
2: I, I like it. I like it. What do you got so next? tell me, tell, tell me why Matson's a bad choice. I only I want tra- no, choice. I, like, why no, not I like Matson as a
3: character. I like I like him as a character. It's just like when we're looking back in ten years, will he be a top ten succession character? I don't know. Like, and I love what he's adding. Charles is
0: so in your head. Is this, is you this know? what it's like to when you guys do every podcast <laughs> together? Charles just gets in your it head. Is. You back Charles, off.
2: Charles, everything I, everything I say, like I come off, like we're in a Midnight Boys. I could say, do you know who I think was a great American? And then the the every, the other three guys would go, Hugh, who? And I go, Martin Luther King Jr. And Charles would be like, ah, oh, he's kind of mad. Are we sure? <laughs> like, 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 Charles would be like, ah, oh, he's kind of mid." I don't really like, I listen, look, I just watched the I Have a Dream speech. Come on, man. Is that the big deal that people are making? I'm like, um, okay. Now, I mean, after this, I got to be honest with you guys. It's really tough.
0: Let's go speed round. Go. Top of the fourth round. Speed
2: round. Minkin. (laughs) I got to take Minkin. I got to take Minkin. It feels weird to have him on my team, being that he would probably lynch me. But as a character, he represents so much of, of like, like real sort of fear that that exists inside. I gotta take making. Go ahead, making that making mine.
0: I thought that was a really good pick. Megan's a great character. Like he's a really. He I, is I w- we talked about him on Prestige on Sunday night. This last episode, he probably only had ten lines, and the way he was just absorbing everything and kind of letting other people. Tell him things, but he wasn't really saying anything and he just kept his card. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good performance. I think that actor Justin Kirk is is great. Um Weeds. I did not have him as my next pick. I'm so glad you left her on the board. Uh, the board this draft is just falling my way. It really feels like the Chiefs <laughs> draft last year. <laughs> Lady Caroline. Knew AKA it. Knew it. The mom. Just another character them. with an incredible batting average. Every scene she's in is an A+. plus. I don't think she's probably said a half an hour worth of lines or scenes or whatever, but every time she's in, I'm happy. Uh, her performance last episode, just another banger. Her performance at the wedding, the the Shiv's wedding, just out of control. Her, her up and downing Shiv and going, hmm, hmm, blimey. Uh, just tour de force. I love Lady Caroline, so welcome aboard. Loved her. By the way, every single
2: part of that, I promise you I've seen that before. I've seen older black ladies look at somebody and be like, hmm. So, <laughs> how long has this been a thing? And, and, and she's and I'm looking at me like, I didn't tell her. She's like, but You mean ain't got to tell me nothing. You know how long I've been on this earth? Your pregnant ass. I bet I see you drinking. You know what I mean? So I, I, that's happened before. And the scene where she embraces Carrie yeah. and then looks at the other woman and oh, goes, yeah. hey, This is my carry. I'm like, oh shit, that's succession getting a little messy. Also, her
0: telling Shiv, basically like last season, eh, not everyone should have kids. I shouldn't have had kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks, mom. Caroline Uh, Caroline
3: makes Logan look like Uncle Phil. Like every single time Caroline shows up, you're just like, Logan is bad, but potentially like this per. Like I would actually rather just have had Logan as the father because like. The stuff that Caroline says to Shiv, I'm like, God damn, like, no wonder. Even Tom, every single time Tom sees their mom, he's like, oh, this is why my wife is the way that she is.
0: What do you have uh, have for next pick?
3: I thought that this was going to be, this guy was going to be taken. I have to take Stewie. Like, I have to, like, I think Stewie. Who's next on my board? Stewie's the funniest character. I don't think he's lost once. Like, he may not win, but Stewie never loses. And just every single time he's talking to Kendall, I'm like, part of me, like, if the de-aging shit gets a little bit more, gets a little bit more crisp, I would do a Kendall Stewie college adventure. Oh, wow.
0: That's fun. That's I love fun. Stewie. He was, he was, he yeah. was on my board. Who, you have one more pick. Who do you have? Ooh, one more pick. Damn. Fuck. We're, see, we're getting it. This is really where you win the draft. This is the Isaiah Pacheco part of the draft where all of a sudden you could end up with a starting running back.
3: Damn, this is, you know what? I'm going to end with someone who I think whenever she gets screen time, I'm just like, I'm so glad you're here. You could have just been a bit player, but she plays her role well. She doesn't hog up the limelight. And when she speaks, it's always hilarious. I have to go Willa. Willa is my girl. Like, she has been killing it this season. I cannot imagine the show without her, and I don't know if I could say that in season one.
0: Mm. It's a really good pick. She's another one, very high batting average, with not a lot of bad- bats.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: She'll have like three lines in an episode, and all of them are really funny. Bill, oh where man. are you going then? Ah uh, me? No, no, no I'm, it's Bill. I'm next.: oh, It's
2: Bill. It's Bill. Yeah.
0: See, now this is the, my draft could fall apart here. I might be doing a van. Um, I think I got to do it though. I love Carolina. I don't understand why she has been more of the show, but in a lot of ways, like her reactions for how little time that she has and how little we know about her, she's weirdly been in a lot of big scenes and she's always around and always kind of sizing people up. And I think I'm going to take her because I think the other person I wanted to take, I don't think Van's going to take. But I think he would have taken because we've already seen Van's draft board. It's always like combination of, I love that actor, but I also I'm glad, I think she's kind of attractive. I am grabbing <laughs> Carolina before Van is able to take her. Shout out to Cr and and, uh, and Big Waz who opened Club Carolina in St. Bart's a while ago.
3: I love Carolina. Beautiful, great actress. Also, we she I was in Carolina. the
0: she was in the. The Burnthal Show. What was the name of that show? With Wayne Jenkins. That oh, HBO we, show. We oh, the city? we on the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in she, there? Wayne Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. she was, yeah. she, was a lo- she was like a DA in that. Just oh, different shit. narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. she's good. She's a good actress. Yeah. All right, Van, what do you got? Uh, okay, so you took
2: Carolina.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm going to take somebody with the worst audition tape for any job mm-hmm. I've ever seen before in my life. Our love is So at Great this, at, at at this at this point, we just gotta get we can we gotta get solid role players.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this is
2: somebody who has actually out hit their weight a little bit. Is, is 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 feeble? Is 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 threatening? All of that. I'm going with Carrie. Logan's last
3: dish, really good pick.
2: His last meal. I'm going with Carrie.
0: Oh, I, I really love like Kerry? her. I love Carrie. It's a great one. Well, I knew you wouldn't take this guy, and he's still on my board. He is—I don't know—not comeback player of the year because he's been on the show, but like, uh, like when Lori Markin won most improved, I feel like he wins most improved for season four. He had some incredible scenes. It's been around the whole time. Never really fully appreciated him, but now I fucking love him. Carl, new Carl was Carl. Mm. Carl crushed it. A few times um, and had some really funny lines that I love that when he uh, went at Tom, when he did that little <laughs> monologue at Tom, when uh, Tom's mm-hmm. like, what do you think we should do? And, and he just like cuts him down in 20 seconds. Like, oh, Carl, didn't know I had that in here. Some pride's coming out with Carl this year. It's like, I've had a good fucking career. I know more than you guys. I'm in on Carl. All right, Charles, you got two. Oh, wait, no, Van didn't get two. You only got one. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I supposed to get
3: to? I don't know if I was supposed to get to. Yeah, you, you're supposed to. Oh, okay. Van Logan,
2: Shade, Matson, Mekin, and Carey.
0: Oh shit! Okay. I so just so the is, gun. So
2: it's fine. I wasn't going to draft him anyway. I'll throw my I'll throw my mine in right now. Uh, I, I'm taking Hugo. Um, Great one. Uh, wolf, wolf. I, I I'm taking Hugo. Wolf, wolf. Hugo's oh, another right there. big, Look, another
0: just, most improved candidate this season.
2: Most improved candidate this season. Now we're getting into Logan's kind of inner circle of people that were at the top of Waste or uh, Ro- ATN in the past. I'm not digging Fisher Stevens either for short circuit. All
0: has been forgiven, my brother. Okay. Hey, the dude was <laughs> married to Michelle Pfeiffer. He's got to have something going on. Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? No, I'm not fucking kidding you. He was Michelle Pfeiffer's when, first what husband. Era? In like the late 80s. Yeah. When she no. was a god amongst men. Fisher we're fucking Stevens. We're talking about fabulous Fabulous baker yeah. boy yeah, era, he was out here. Are you
2: fucking kidding
3: me yeah. I think, Fisher, I think He should have been Evans. the number
2: one draft pick
0: Yeah
3: Oh my god Fisher! I read a story that like She was like taking care of his like iguana On the set of like one of his movies Like she was just all around New York Looking taking care of this pet Like my man was like getting busy out here Hugo He's a legend
0: Alright I already hey, took Carl bit. Let's yeah, go speed so round Charles Let's try to do this in five minutes Charles give us two
3: All right, I'm going. I've never seen her get fucked this entire series. I got to go Marsha. Like, Marsha is, like, is, like, legit. Like, she, if she ends up running the company, I would not be surprised. So I'm going to go Marsha. And then, you know what? I have to go, like, if I needed a surrogate father, I would have to go with Frank. Like, Frank is the type of guy where he's he's the glue guy. You're never going to be, like, remarked, like, damn, like, he can act. But when he shows up, I'm like, man, he is like, he is the epitome of like a bit player in a show.
0: Love Yeah. One of the few people that actually seemed to have some semblance of a soul that was around these work hits. Well, some good people are left in the supporting character class. I got to give shout out to, uh, to Ewan, who's only been in a few episodes, but now he's on my team. He crushed the funeral speech. He crushed Damn. whatever family episode, the Thanksgiving, it's season one, crushed that. Anytime he's been in, it's been a home run. James Cromwell, um, such a great actor back in the 70s, was on two different episodes of The White Shadow playing two different people. Just <laughs> want to point out that. Jesus. Also was on, I think, Miami Vice, <laughs> um, was in a bunch of action movies in the 80s and 90s and just kind of hung around and turned into James Cromwell. And uh, and it's funny babe. to see him, age eighty three, just fucking killing it in the funeral speech. So there you go. What do you got, Bam? Um, I am really, really,
2: really at the bottom of the barrel here. Um, so much so that I'm going back. I was. This is strictly for the culture. I was happy to see her pop up. I feel like she was underused when she was on the show, and I'm I going know, yeah. to take. Great pride in being the first person in this draft to draft a Black American. I'm going with Sanaa Lathan. Charles, you couldn't do it. You couldn't <laughs> put one on for your people. It's impossible. Lisa Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> as played by Sanaa Lathan, aging like fine wine, a sister about town, Lisa Arthur. No reason other than the fact that of the characters left, uh, <laughs> she represents the culture. Stan Lathan's kid.
0: Any, uh, you got one more if you want it.
2: Um, <laughs> so really on my draft board, like my draft board is, I'm out of people on my draft board. Now you got to pick, you got to dra-
3: Adrian Brody. Come on, man.
0: Yeah, take Adrian. We'll give you Adrian Brody for your last pick. Give me Adrian Josh Harrison. Okay. take Brody. Take Brody. Right. I, uh, I'm gonna add. I, as much as I love Jess, and I, I thought that's who Van was gonna take there. I thought Jess was really important in the last two episodes, but just. Not really strong enough during the season, really came on late. Whereas Colin, the Grim Reaper, <laughs> Logan's bodyguard, comes in oh, just did. an incredibly important season uh one episode Goddamn, ten performance. Cooking, comes in and gets what? gets uh gets Kendall super evil. We see him again during when Lo- when uh, Kendall's playing the music when he's trying to fuck up Shiv's speech, comes in super menacing. But then we had the crazy dinner scene with him and Logan. And then who was the most upset that Logan died? It might have been him. It was like his best friend, Kendall brings him He's, back in the fold. Logan's I get a bodyguard. Best fucking pal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good pick. That's a good value. I get a pick. bodyguard, so I'm going to take him as my last pick. Who do you have, Charles? Ah, oh, man. Yeah, we are getting low on the totem pole here. Well, can I get can I give the audience who's left? Yes. For your Who's last left? pick. Jess. Oscar, Matson's right hand guy who blew smoke in Greg's face. I fuck with him. I loved Oscar. Uh Ebba, the head of communications Eva, for Mattson. Yeah. Uh Rava. You can have yeah, uh what's say, Yeah, the Kendall's ex wife. You can have Roman season one girlfriend, who He's Roman wouldn't have sex wife. with. Yeah, whatever, whatever she was. You can have the dead waiter. You could have Naomi Pierce. You could have Rhea Juell. Uh, you could have Nate Comfrey. Shiv's on. Nate. Nate is good. Nate. Shiv's or you could have Gil. Fishy hooked up with Gil. Gil whatever the the uh, Eric Bagosian character. You didn't pick Jess, right? No, you can. I think Jess I pick, is the right pick. I, I think I'm picking Jess. Like every single
3: time she's on the screen, I'm just like, oh yeah, Jess, like homegirl. like shit, I love you. I'm going with Jess. She's also part of probably a top five scene uh, when Kendall's just like, I might have killed someone. Uh, so I got to go with Jess.
0: Okay. So here's here's who we have. Charles, your team. Kendall, Jerry, Stewie, Greg, Marsha, Jess. Um, You had Hugo, right? No, I had Frank and Willa. Van had Hugo. Frank and Willa. All right, that's your team. Van, you had Logan, Mencken, <laughs> Shiv. <laughs> oh, nobody took Nan Pierce either. Matson, Lisa Arthur, Hugo, the Adrian Brody character, and Carrie. And then I have Tom, Roman, Connor, Lady Caroline, Carolina, Carl, Ewan, Colin the Grim Reaper. Saruti, come on in. Tell us who won. Fuck y'all, I won.
1: I got to agree. Uh, I thought Shiv was a reach. Unfortunately, <laughs> apologies to you, man. I I promise you I'm not kissing ass here. People are going to think I, Carl is the steel of the draft. Bill. Really? I, that dude is hysterical. Wow. His, my, favorite, my favorite line, one of my favorite lines in the show is when they're in, what was it, Turkey? And they're like in that hostage situation. And he just says, I don't want to alarm anybody, but I'm currently having a panic attack. <laughs> He is underratedly, I think, the one of the funniest characters in the entire show. So, Bill, for that, I'll give you the nod. But, man, I just the Shiv thing really hurts you. I'm sorry.
0: It's fine. That uh, was like the way, when the, the Lions it, took that running back 12.
1: <laughs> yeah, great. He could be great, but it's just, like, not valuable there. Not value, wow, valuable. Wow,
0: it's the hate for Shiv. I got a,
2: a a bona fide Roy uh, potential heir, and no one. Okay, cool.
0: i, I yeah. I'll ride with you, Shiv. <laughs> Listen, as always, it's going to be left up to the people who are totally rational. The people on YouTube and Twitter and Reddit. I'm sure they'll have some thoughts on the draft. Uh, fellas, thanks to Rudy. Uh, fellas, enjoy the season finale. Thanks to Charles and thanks to Van. If you want to hear them argue about uh, about the, uh, the Ringerverse and the Marvel movies and all the... What's, what's the next big movie coming out? Are they still making Marvel movies? Or the no? Flash. Has Shut David Shut up. Have David Saslov, did he send you the Flash uh with
3: his with Tom Cruise as well?
0: The flat, did they did they CGI the guy out out of there who was getting in all the trouble or is he still in it? No, no, he's still uh, zooming around. Ezra, whatever. No, no, they are. They are they
2: still are zooming around. They still are zooming around. Okay. Just make <laughs> okay. sure that it, it'll be a whole fucking thing piece. They like they it's a okay. it's a huge thing. We've We've covered it on The Ringerverse But the next one is The animated Spider-Man movie Right? Uh, it's uh,
0: yeah Spider-verse. Spider-Verse Spider-Verse is coming out Alright Yeah Alright thanks fellas For coming on I appreciate it pew, pew. No problem Appreciate you Bill Alright that's it For the podcast Thanks to Rob Mahoney Thanks to Van Lathan And Charles Holmes Thanks to Kyle Creighton For producing Thanks to Steve Cerruti I will see you on this feed On Sunday And I will see you On the Prestige TV podcast At some point late Sunday night reacting to the series finale of Succession. Enjoy the weekend. Go Southwaves.